Hello folks, before we start the show, I'd like to put this show out there, this uh, X's last ride, if you will, this is Jeffrey X. Martin's very last podcast for a very long time, and it's a pleasure that he's on this one, but um, I'd like to dedicate this show to uh, one Stormy Blue, who was a, a feline friend, you know, a feel by animals in this show, but this was a feline friend of Suzanne's, who passed away Literally two days before we recorded this show, so she's uh, maybe a little frazzled on this show, but we we love her and uh, we love we love we love our animals. So Stormy Blue was uh, just as brooding as she was. So very 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 sad for Suzanne and very sad for the the cat world at large that has to deal with uh, mean old Stormy Blue right now, and also too the. The, the the partners of, of our people on this show. I don't have I'm not married myself, but Pat is Suzanne's husband and uh Brian is Jamie's husband and uh Cootie is ex's wife and uh they put up with a lot of shit for, for me to do this show and I like to say I'm grateful for them and uh I'm gonna stop this right here. But this is uh episode one oh one of the Cinebeef Podcast. X's last ride. Vroom vroom <laughs> I dedicate this song to the working man For every man that puts in eight or ten hard hours a day Of working tall and sweat He's always got somebody looking down his neck Trying to get more out of him than he really ought to have to put in After twenty-nine long years of working in this shop With Oni standing over me The day when that old whistle blows I'll check in all my gear And I'll retire The superintendent just dropped by And said they'd plan my little get-together Then he said I'd never made it If old Oni hadn't held me to the fire I've seen him in my dreams at night And woke up in the morning feeling tired And old Oni don't remember When I came here How he tried to get me fired With his folded hands behind him Every morning Oni waited at the gate He'd rant and rave like I committed murder Clocking in five minutes late But today they'll gather around me Like I've seen them do when any man retires Then old Oni's gonna tell me from now on I'm free to do what I desire He'll present me with that little old gold watch They give a man at times like this But there's one thing he's not counting on Today's the day I give old Oni his <laughs> I've been working, building muscles Oni's just been standing around to getting soft And today about 4.30 I'll make up for every good night's sleep I've lost When I'm gone I'll be remembered as a working man that put his point across 
With the right hand full of knuckles Cause today I show old Oni who's the boss Hmm, what time is it? 4.30 Hey, Oni Hello, folks. Welcome to another episode of Sin Beef Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Gary Hill, feeling under the weather a little bit, but I'm here here for you guys and my co-hosts. With us, as usual, is Jamie. Hello. I am under the weather as well, but in a different way. I'm just under it as in it keeps piling on. That's <laughs> Let me tell you, it's, it's cold here, but we don't have any snow here. It's It's... It's a real strange well, we animal. We got flurries last night. Yeah, a little bit of flurries. That's about it. Yeah, it's wet and nasty, and I mean, it's snowing, but it's wet snow, and it's just it's cold. Like the wind will cut right through you. I bet. You can hear it whistling around the side of the house, which I love. Um, we have a guest who, or we have a Brian has a friend who comes over and brings his son, and it freaks his son out every time when you can hear the, the wind howling around the side of the house. I think it's fantastic. I love it. Just Thomas Cthulhu coming. <laughs> you be being a good boy, huh? You know. <laughs> oh my gosh! And also with us is Suzanne. Greetings. Also not feeling the greatest. Yeah. Something in the air. Some, something else, too. It's a... Yeah. I don't bring it up. We, you only, yeah. only, only if you want to. Okay? No, I'm, I'm working my way through it. Gotcha. Suzanne lost, yeah. Suzanne lost the buddy. I'm just going to leave it at that, okay? We've all been there. If you follow our Facebook, you've seen it. So, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. And, uh, yeah, I'm just starting to think that shooting Jim Beam was not a good idea. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, and with us, the man with the hour, the man with the power, too sweet, too be sour. Mr. Jeffrey X. Martin, how you doing, sir? You know what? I'm not under the weather, but I'm fucking over it. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold and not snowing. And it's like, just do something besides be gray outside. So that's where I'm at. I, I don't mind the cold. as long as I got a shovel. And, you know, that's that's a... Uh, that's nice. <laughs> oh, man. But I'll start the show. The same way we start every show. And ask X what he's been watching. Uh, finally checked out three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. And oh. that's a hell of a thing, isn't it? Wow. Oh, my God. I fucking love that movie. I was Sam- blown away. Ah, Sam Rockwell just floored me in that movie. Right? It's Isn't really, it amazing how you hate you hate every fiber of his being in the beginning of that film, but then by the time, or at least I did, by the time I get to the end, I love him, and I'm like, how the fuck did you do that? <laughs> it is such a complete character arc, and that's what I love about that performance. Just complete uh, turnaround and wonderfulness. So yeah, that's really good. And then on the opposite end of that spectrum... Um, our good buddy James Peter Cox introduced me to a snake movie from 1974 called Fangs. Oh, what, I know that one. What the fuck is that? That's oh, nice. some <laughs> weird shit. Les Tremaine plays this dude named Snakey. <laughs> and, 
and he loves snakes, and of course he flips out. And once he starts killing people, he just pushes their cars over the same cliff. <laughs> so same like, shot? no, but it's like he'll keep like by, by the end of the movie, there are seven cars over the same cliff, and they're all like piled oh. on top of each oh, other. He just shows that cliff. Someone <laughs> yes. might, someone might notice. You would think. <laughs> You would think, but no, nobody notices a damn thing, and it's friggin' hilarious. So, yeah, if you can find that, check that is, shit out. Is, is, that's... is Snakey a plumber? Because that would make sense. No, he's just a guy who owns snakes, and guess who else is in it? Fucking Marvin Kaplan, the voice of Top Cat. Nice. <laughs> I love when voices from cartoons show up and shit, like... like uh... Uh... Frosty the Snowman and Microwave Massacre is quite magical. It's uh, right? amazing. <laughs> and then I've spent a lot of time watching, you know, all nine movies for this show, so holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> I fit other stuff in myself, too. But <laughs> uh, Suzanne. Well, I finally sat down and watched the remake of Murder on the Orient Express because I love the old Agatha Christie movies. And I have to admit, Albert Finney was just not a good Hercule Poirot. And I'll be honest, Kenneth Branagh, not a good Hercule Poirot. But he's got like that tri-level mustache, which is I know, it would be the mustache that was epic. It was an epic mustache. But I'm watching this and I'm like, I almost need subtitles. I could not understand every other word that came out of his mouth. And it was it was good. It was less boring than the original. But it was it just it just missed something for me. I really wanted it to be spectacular because I really wanted to see a good adaptation of that. And I did not get it. And not to mention, as X said, watching the movies for this. And I've watched most of them with Pat, who loves the ones that I hate. So that was uh, that was an adventure. And that's pretty much, I've just been, like I said, watching all of these. Watched Blood Beach with the NFW crew the other night. And I forgot how damn boring that was. It really is. <laughs> but what a box art. Oh, yeah. The poster, definitely better than the movie. But like I said, that's pretty much been it. Just haven't really been watching too much lately. Fair enough. Jamie. Okay, well, um, just one more note on three billboards real quick. Uh, Of course, people have been talking about that film a lot, and deservedly so. And of course, I watched the Oscars, and I was very pleased that Frances McDormand and Sam Rockwell walked away with Oscars for that, because I think they both deserve them, like, no question. I've never heard anyone say anything about Caleb Landry Jones, and I really loved his character in that film. And it wasn't a big character. He was the the, um, advertising guy. Um, but I've liked him um, like he was in things like antiviral. And of course, he played the brother in Get Out. So he had two really good movies last year. And I just there's in particular the hospital scene where Sam Rockwell is in the hospital and his face is all bandaged up. And Caleb Landry Jones is in the same room and he doesn't realize who it is. So he goes over and starts talking to him. And just you just see the look on his face is so sweet. Like he just has the most caring sweetest look on his face as he's trying to comfort this person he doesn't know who it is and even after he finds out who it is 
And this guy is the same guy who had just thrown him out of a window, which is why he's in the hospital. He still is compassionate. I that just melted me. I it was insane. I can't even tell you how much I love that movie. Oh my god. Um. Other than that, we watched Veronica because uh, that film has been going kind of. Kind of viral. Like everyone seems to be talking about it. And I kept seeing all these posts about how it's like the scariest movie ever, uh, you know. So I said, okay, well, let's check it out. And, of course, it's from um, the same guy who gave us Rick. And uh, you can definitely see his style in the film, uh, I, I think, and which is funny because I didn't realize that, that, it, that it was him at first. And when the movie started, I'm like, God, this reminds me so much of Wreck. But then I was like, well, it's probably just because it's a Spanish horror film. Like, maybe that's why it's stuck in my head. No, it's the same guy. I do think it's really good. Like, it's done really well. It doesn't do anything new, though. And I don't really feel like it's all that scary. Because we've seen it all before. But I do think it's really well done. I just don't see anything all that original about it. Yeah, I started it, and I just haven't gotten around to finishing it. Well, it's, I, you know, for people out there who are curious, I would say it's definitely worth a watch. I just don't think it's all that groundbreaking, you know, or groundbreaking at all, really. But it was good. It was definitely good. It didn't keep me up at night, though. And we stumbled occasionally. We try to find things on Amazon Prime. Like, we'll just kind of wander through and, and pick random things. And there was this movie that was on Amazon Prime called Dead Time Tales, and it's marked as a 2018. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I've heard that title before, but not this year. So we started, you know, Brian was like, well, let's watch it. So we started watching it. It is the, it is bad. It is basically (laughs) a mashed together, like really bad uh, anthology film. But it's, all of these were made at like in like 2001. Like all the segments were made. This is not a new movie. I don't know. I, I don't know if it has just never been released before or if it got a new release. I have no idea what the history is behind it. But you could tell by the technology. You could tell by the wardrobe. You could tell by everything that this was like early 2000s at the latest. And plus Brink Stevens is in it. And she doesn't look like she looks now. So I was like, <laughs> um, I was like, huh? And, but it's so not, it's not good. Is that the, they're all fairy tales with like Scott Valentine in it? No, 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 no. Is this I, the okay. one that Romero was attached to? I don't know if he was or not. Uh, as far as the Scott Valentine one, though, I actually enjoy that one. To yeah, extent. I know. That is that, um, is that dead, time, dead time stories from the eighties. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, that. yeah. Oh, that might be why I thought the title sounded familiar, it's too. Way, it's because maybe more... I knew about Dead Time Stories. But yeah, this is Dead Time Tales. And it's just, uh, no, I mean, uh, the um, like in the first segment, it's a couple who moves into a place and it's haunted by a serial killer who uh, like was all into like S&M and he would strangle women with neckties. And, and so then that, you know, the the ghost kind of, takes over or like possesses the people that live in the place. And then there's one with a really bad fake reality show. And I don't know. It just, we barely made it through it. Like, like just barely. I think Brian would have bailed if I'd given him the opportunity. <laughs> it was pretty bad. And then of course, movies for this. And, and then our, uh, we've been continuing through our old crap. And, um, 
Yeah, Brian was like, he's like, look, I, I, I don't know if I can keep this up. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, maybe we'll have to switch out how we do it. Because we've been going straight through, like, the 50-pack. That gets that takes a toll after a while. Because some of them are classic. <laughs> you yes, know? they do. Yes, they Some do. of them are good. But <laughs> you, it does tend to take a toll. So I said, well, maybe we'll start mixing them up. Like, maybe we'll, after this 50-pack, we'll jump to the alphabet proper once we get through the A's, we'll go back and squeeze in another 50 pack or something like that. We've got, I don't know. We've got to fix it. Cause it's, it starts to get depressing. It's like, here's white zombie and here's something, something of the wasp woman. And you know, you're like, Ugh. yeah, <laughs> I mean, we just watched like the terror, um, which was interesting. Cause it was Jack Nicholson's first starring role. Yep. And, um, there are actually quite a few people in that net or connections with that. Francis Coppola was on the, was on the, production teams it was I think you know it had, had like, some interesting I think they had like five directors at one point if I, if I remember correctly the, I Corman do, the Corman documentary <laughs> I believe it um, we watched Swamp Women which is a Roger Corman joint and it's exactly what you would probably think it was but that's fine with me I actually enjoyed that one but you know they're just all over the map and it, 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 it starts to get depressing so anyway that's that's that well, I watched three billboards as well, and I won't add too much to it besides the fact that I was surprised that Max Mom showed up from It's Always Sunny, and uh, she she emoted, and that that's different for that that character. And uh, I know it's not Max Mom in Three Billboards, but still, it's Sam Rockwell's mom, and she we actually did some crying after he got the shit kicked out of him, you know. And yeah, watch the movie; it's really good. Oh my God, that scene where he goes to the bathroom. <laughs> And she is like, you know, she's like crying and she's like, you're my baby boy. I mean, it was breaking my heart. I'm just like, ah, oh, God damn it. And then, oh, my, I want to watch it again. Jesus Christ, that movie is so good. Yeah, I'm going to watch it after we're done with this podcast. I've been wanting to see it. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. I was going to watch it Monday while I was laid up with a cold. But I'm like, I'm going to fall asleep anyway. So I may as well watch Murder on the Orient Express. <laughs> oh, speaking of another another movie that I sh- it's it's like an emotional K hole in, in in my my uh, voodoo K I guess I made the mistake of watching Wonder and when I say mistake I mean mistake of I'm gonna get into this movie and I shouldn't turn it on it's 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 about a it's 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 similar well it's very similar to Mask in a lot of ways to um the share one to where the boy had. Genes for both both of the parents that he was born deformed, so he had to have multiple surgeries to, just to see and to hear and stuff. And so this is about his first trip into public school. And of course, kids, <laughs> newsflash: kids are assholes to, to different people. But uh, of course, it's very inspirational. He he ends up getting friends, yada yada yada. Julia Roberts is not bad in it, and that's that's hard for me to say because I don't like her in many things. Um, Owen Wilson uh, <laughs> still can't emote. But he plays the dad in that movie, you know. But uh, there's that. Um, even as Eli Cash, who's one of my favorite uh, Wes Anderson characters of all time, is he, he can't emote that movie. But that's because he's high as hell whole movie, though, supposedly. <laughs> so I guess that's why he can't emote that movie. So they give him a... I guess Wes Anderson wrote an excuse why he can't emote. Because he's so high on mescaline and shit. Uh, so there's that. And then there's an amazing film I watched called Coco that everybody should see. If you guys are, were on the fence about Coco, it, it's a it's a great film. I've watched it twice since, since I've got it. I keep hearing that. 
It is delightful. And uh, Not that you watched it twice. I keep hearing that it's good. You can hear I watched it four times, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'll watch it again. <laughs> um, if you guys didn't know what it was about, it was about a little boy, uh, Miguel, who wants to be a musician, <clears throat> but is forbidden in his family because long ago, his great-great-grandfather supposedly ran out into the family as, as a musician, and ever since then... Um, Work and not music has been has been forbidden in their family, and uh, so he takes it upon himself to go discover his roots through a ghost world because he steals his great great grandfather's guitar and strums it inside of his his uh his memorial memorial temple, and he goes to like this world where he meets all of his dead family, and then it gets really dark, and then it has a really sad but good ending to it, and I I really uh I think it's great. Coco is amazing. And, uh, Pixar knocks it out of the park again. <clears throat> they can do no wrong most of the time unless, unless they're alone playing, playing your emotions. Like uh, I was discussing with X about the movie Up, which she's never seen before, but them first ten minutes up, y'all, it's uh, it slams you. <laughs> with a lot of emotions. Um, I watched Lady and the Tramp. Uh, and, um, they put the signature series out, so I had to have it because they tend to take those... 60-year-old movies that make them look spectacular, and they, they didn't disappoint on this edition either. So if you guys are on the fence about Lady the Tramp and getting that new edition, I'd say go, go uh, check it out. Mm. <sighs> Anything else? Oh, I watched the, the Netflix series, Everybody Sucks. And let me tell you, folks, you got to stop with this. I'll, I'll get into my beef of the week with this one. I'll, I'll leave it alone. It's just not very good. It, it, they really try with this nostalgia boom. This time it's the '90s, and the they they make a, a play to say, oh, but the the main lead is a is a African American boy. It's like that's fine and good, but he's terrible, and the the, the girl he's after who who loves Terry Tori, Tori, Tori Amos, so she must be a lesbian. You know, shit like that really really grinds my gears. You know, <laughs> and of course the nine movies for the show. I watched all nine as well. I think one of them twice, but um. It's all a blur at this point. I know my talking, my talking points, so we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> and I'll lead into our beef bitches and mashed potatoes. Okay, who gets the burly uh, beef? I ordered barbecue beef. I think that's mine, but I didn't who order gets fries. The barbecue beef? Mine's the Duke Deluxe. Okay, who gets the burly beef? X, this is our last ride with you, brother. Well, make it a good one or something, man. You got something good that you, that's really burning in your brain? I want to talk about what it's like to live in an apartment complex for five fucking years. Sing it, brother. Oh, shit. I cannot wait to get the fuck out of here. I mean, it was cool at the beginning because, you know, I had a place to live and it was, it was bright and sunny and all that good shit. And then we got the upstairs neighbors... And the first set of upstairs neighbors, who I think were there for, I don't know, at least as long as we were, it seemed like they would like just randomly drop kettlebells on the floor and scare the shit out of us at inopportune times. And then they finally left, and these people moved in, and I think that they have two kids and a bear, because... <laughs> The noises from upstairs are just ungodly, just running, 
back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And Cootie and I were in bed a couple nights ago, and we, it was like 11.30, 11.45. We were like, what is that noise? And they were fucking vacuuming. Who uh. the fuck vacuums their floor when it's a, almost midnight? It's insane. Well, if you have a bear, you know, <laughs> it, they could make a mess. Well, then you can wait because, you know... Just do that shit in the morning. Let it go all night, and then take care of it. Just so is that's just awful. And of course, the fu- you know the groundskeepers here don't show up for two months, three months, and then the day we record, here they are <laughs> with their riding mowers and leaf blowers and whatever the fuck else they've got. So it sounds like a industrial park outside. They keep they 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 jacked up our rent like twenty bucks every year, you know. It seems like if you stay at a place long enough, you should get like a discount for not being an asshole or not being late on your rent. But no, here's another twenty bucks, and it's just it's just it's just me and Cootie now. So it's not even you can't even base it on the fucking water consumption. It's just nope. We're just going to keep jacking it. And it's like fuck. See, I've never gotten y'all. that either. You know, I lived in uh, one particular apartment when I was single for six years, and they kept jacking up my rent. But every time I would go to the office, I would see signs, you know, for like, you know, discounts for new people, like to try to get new people to move in. Yeah. And I'm like, well, how about you try to keep the ones who live here happy? Like, that would probably help. Yeah, I'd be real. I would have been okay with that. That would have been nice. And then I don't, uh, this was two weeks ago, I guess, where whenever the people upstairs took a shower, it would fucking run down into our bathtub. Oh, so you know that sucked, and that took a while for them to fix. And then there was this big bubble inside the wall uh, behind our shower head, so we can't even use like the shower that's off our bedroom because I'm afraid the wall's gonna just crumble and cave in so yeah i'm glad to be leaving and that's happening really really soon so there i finally have a goddamn beef and fuck fuck this shit ready 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 to go make sure they know about that bubble because uh, um oh they know about it okay i was gonna say because you don't want them to try to charge you for it when you move out oh no because it took them two weeks to fix it even the guy came, the, the maintenance guy was like, wow, we really dropped the ball on this, didn't we? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you kind of did. Ass. Uh, I want to comment on the vacuuming thing at 1145. Maybe it's some weird housekeeping foreplay that you don't know nothing about. You know, everybody has a kink and everything, and maybe theirs is the sound of the vacuum cleaner. Well, I mean, if you're going to have somebody dress up in a French maid outfit, they've usually got a fucking feather duster, not a Hoover. <laughs> it's the more industrial one. There you go. <laughs> it's hardcore it's, shit. <laughs> s- s- steam, steampunk, uh, uh, maid fetish, and uh, the guy is wearing the French maid outfit. And he's very hairy, I'd imagine. And get the attachments, Francine. <laughs> yeah, apartment living sucks. I could not wait to get out of an apartment and into a house. So I'm not sharing walls with anybody. Oh my gosh. Suzanne, what's your beef, girl? Uh, just uh, haven't got it in me this week. I understand. <clears throat> no fighting from Suzanne. Jamie. I 
don't think I really have one. I had something last night. I, I know I did. And then I have forgotten what it was. So I do that a lot. Like I'll in the middle of the week, I'll be like, ah, God damn it. And then I, then I forget what it is. But, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, we were watching a, uh, I got it. We were, <laughs> we were watching a YouTube channel and they were talking about um, Tencent, this company that is basically designing digital contracts for parents to negotiate with their children video game playing time. And I'm like, oh, what the fuck? F-? And I'm like, what the fuck is that? It does not require a fucking contract. It requires fucking parenting. This is how it goes in my house. Can I play my video games? No. There you Done. go. That's all the negotiating that you get. You know, or can I play my video games? Sure. You know. Whatever. If you're done with your homework. Yeah. I mean, what the fuck is happening that there are parents out there who are going to negotiate a contract with their child over playing video games? I don't understand. kids. (laughs) What happens? See, the more fun part of that conversation would be what happens when there's a breach of contract? I'd say... (laughs) I'd say he loses a pinky, you know. Yeah, well, you know, then, then they're going to have to take him to small claims court. You know, it's just, it's beyond ridiculous to me, and it angers me that people have, and I'm not saying everyone, obviously, but that there are people out there who have so little control over uh, over their household that they have to enter into a written contract. That is insane. Insane. They keep naming these kids Tyler, Taylor, and Madison, so that's that's a them them white problems. I mean, I ain't got them problems, you know. I just I, I'm trying to think of what would have happened if I had taken this idea to my parents. Like you know, I've said you know, what about we negotiate a, a contract? Okay, after I got up off the floor, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. They would have said, uh, "How about no?" <laughs> I mean, it just I, I don't understand. It pissed me off. It it just it straight up pissed me off that this is even a thing. My my favorite thing is when I see the kids like throwing all their weight on the ground like you would in a Kmart in the eighties. But the the inverse effect is them <laughs> yanking you up by your arm, almost pulling out of the socket and beating your ass. They just they they just sit there and stare at them and say, "Come on, we gotta go. Come on, we gotta go." And I just I would just leave them there in the aisle and say that. Let me tell me. you. One of my favorite things ever. When I was a kid, my uh, I was about eight. My best friend and I and her grandmother were at a store, and she started to pitch a fit. And she was a little spoiled by her mother, but her grandmother didn't put up with that shit. Old school. So we were in a store, and she wanted something, and she grabbed onto her leg, like just grabbed onto her grandmother's leg. Her grandmother kept walking. And she just is walking, dragging her behind her across the pavement. And it scraped up her, it scraped the shit out of her stomach. And so then she's crying and she's like, look at my stomach. And she's like, and her grandmother goes, well, dumbass, all you had to do was let go. (laughs) And that was the best thing I have ever seen. Oh my gosh. I'd imagine it was. Because it's fucking true. She didn't do anything to her. Man, oh man. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to laugh about that all day now, see? <laughs> oh, anything else, Jamie, you want to get into? No, no, I'm just, I, I'm just, that just blew my mind, because what the fuck? Man, fair enough. 
Uh, me, uh, like I mentioned, I watch that show after everything sucks on Netflix. <clears throat> I'm just sick of the, the nostalgia boom for the sake of the nostalgia boom. I, I can't blame it all on Stranger Things, but I can blame part of it on Stranger Things. And, uh, but um, this this show is is, is is a 90s thing, and it's stuff I grew up with, and stuff I've had thrown in my face by these talking head documentaries, and all this stuff, and it's nothing, nothing new that you're learning, except for, you know, having a show about it, and I love how Netflix does those open-ended ep- uh, endings to their seasons by saying, <clears throat> guess what, it's coming back, it's like, it might not be if nobody watched it. Because I hear they didn't def- renew the Defenders. That's a that's a Marvel property, so it, it it wasn't very popular, I guess. And I hear they're not going to renew it, so they may not renew this show either. And they left it very open ended at the end because I I finished it all because of the, the guys from the Deuce told me that they really liked it, and I said okay, I'll I'll stick it out because they're only like twenty seven minute episodes. They're not one hour long or anything, and uh, I stuck it out, and I was uh was disappointed, and uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, what else? There, there, there was one more thing. <laughs> I read a story about something, but, uh, um, uh, damn. That's, that's, uh, oh, yeah. We, we, we uh, I, I, I don't forget about this. We had a, a, a rock station. It's still going right now until Saturday at midnight called, uh, The Loop, 97.9 The Loop. And if you guys don't know what that is, you guys might know what that is, because that was the home of, home of Steve Dahl, who was notorious for his disco demolition night, where he put disco records in the middle of Comiskey Park where the White Sox play and decided to explode them real good and be a hillbilly and whatever. <laughs> it just seemed like a real bad idea. But that that guy in that station became famous because of that that particular disco demolition night. Well... I love when people complain about it's like oh I've listened to them for first for so many years and this and the other it's like if you listen to them lately because they really dropped off the map as far as their their programming quality this is what a classic rock station who is only aware that there's only two Aerosmith songs in their whole catalog yeah I can and, uh, vouch for that <laughs> see <laughs> but it, it it just dropped off in quality and I can see why they got bought out by a Christian station. Which is strange to have that high on the, <laughs> to be that high on the FM dial, but this classic rock station got bought up by a Christian rock station or something or Christian station. I don't know. I doubt it's going to be like you know hymns and you know sermons on Sunday. Joel Osteen, Phew. <laughs> you're, you're going to burn eventually, buddy. I tell you right now, Joel, right down into Hades. I'm sure, but um, yeah, and we we have another classic rock station that's that's much much better. FM The Drive WDRV which you guys can go to listen to on the internet if you guys would like to listen to that station it's it's available for free streaming on the internet and um they they put a lot more deep cuts on their station and I appreciate that and they're aware there are more than two Aerosmith songs and more than two Led Zeppelin songs and more than two of this songs and they haven't quite lost their way yet let's put it that way so all you people that that are mourning for the loop I know it's been a 40-year institution in Chicago, but get over it. There's going to be another station that pops up that's going to be better than The Loop. You'll discover that, you, you, you'll like it better. Because, let me tell you folks, besides the Alice Cooper they play on Saturday night, the, the, he play, they play his show on Saturday night, I believe, which is fine. 
but that's syndicated everywhere. You don't need you don't need to listen to that there. I only feel bad for Mancow because he doesn't have a, a Chicago home anymore because they, they he got dropped by them obviously, and he's a nationally syndicated show by the Mancow's Morning Madhouse. If you guys ever listen to that, I, I feel bad for for that fella because uh, I enjoy listening to him, and I I would besides listening to the podcast that, that he releases after the show. I would like to know that at five thirty, I could go find that someplace else. But I might be able to do that now because, yeah, Christians had to have a, an outlet for their stuff, and that's fine too. But well, that's fine for them. It's not fine for me. But <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Don't mourn for the loop because they suck now, and all the all their good all their good DJs that they they lost from the alternative rock station are going back to the alternative rock station, including Tim Virgin, who you know any of these people are. But he was uh he was big he was a big DJ on um Q one oh one when when I was listening to it uh way back in my late teenage years in the into the twenty aughts and uh he, he was uh he, he kicked out the jams and I, I really enjoyed uh, a a DJ that could do that, that cared about the music and uh some stations don't even have DJs anymore. Tom yeah. Petty, Petty wrote a song about it and uh it's quite profound. But um, I'm gonna leave it at that. <clears throat> Sorry. Does anybody listen to D. Snyder's House of Hair? I used to love House of Hair. Good show. Yeah, I listen to that. I gotta look for it because D. Uh, that's about the realest motherfucker on the planet. I got to meet him once, and real cool people in every sense. But um, yeah, tonight, today, what's today? It's uh, it's eleven o'clock in the morning where I am. Noon where 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 Jamie and and um, Jeff are at. But uh, we're gonna. Uh, do X's retirement show proper by doing uh, films that we love that other folks hate and films that we hate that everybody seems to love and then end it out with a nice, nice ribbon on it with a film that we've referenced on this show the most, I think, even when these guys weren't here. Being Raising Arizona, a film we all love. I can't wait to get into all these because there's going to be some... <laughs> I got a feeling there's going to be some clashes. But I think the best way to do this is to go, uh, go, go, boy and girl, because you know, America. But uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll do, uh, we'll get one female's perspective on their picks, and then one male's perspective on their picks. Then take a break, and then we'll come back and do two more. Take a break, and then we'll do the last film, of course. But um, I think we're gonna start with da, 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 Suzanne when we come back for the break. See you guys soon. Hey, did you guys ever notice that podcasts talk about the same movies over and over again? Yeah, as much as I love Friday the 13th, I don't need another show telling me how good it is. Exactly. Same thing goes for Halloween. It's a great movie, but come on, there's other stuff out there. There should be a show that highlights movies that everyone else seems to skip over. Like, oh, I always wanted to talk about Absentia. And I want someone to cover the room. The Skeleton Key's a good one. Then let's just do one. We can call it The ABCs of Hidden Horror, and we'll go through the alphabet talking about our favorite horror flicks that get ignored. Great idea! I know what my first one's gonna be. Join Brian, Dave, and me, Jamie, for the ABCs of Hidden Horror on the Horrorphilia Network, where we might discuss some of your neglected favorites, or introduce you to something new. Alright, we're back. X's Last Ride with Suzanne to tell us the film that she loves that, that everybody else seems to hate. And why? And then we'll discuss it after. All right, the movie I love, and it just gets so much hate, and I do not, I don't understand it. 
is Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2. For me, I, it just it seems a little bit more fully realized. You know, I, I like the way that the, the town is depicted. and Everybody is trying to, you know, get a piece of all the tourist money. And, you know, you start playing around with stuff and bad things happen. And I guess I've always just I, I, I just think this one had a little more depth. I like the actors better. I like the story. I mean, I can't take anything away from Blair Witch Project, but I mean, let's be honest. There are some some moments in Blair Witch that get really, really draggy, dry, kind of boring, walking around the woods. And in this one, it just it just starts off immediately. You've got Jeffrey Donovan, whom I love from Burn Notice, so that might be a little biased here, leading these group, this group into the woods. One of them is, of course, you got to have your Wiccan, you got to have your medium, plus your filmmaking, writing. Uh, what word am I looking for? <laughs> People. Yes, thank you. And they are recording and wake up in the morning, and everything is torn up and as they go back and try to piece together what happened the night before and everybody seems to be a little possessed by the witch so i'm just gonna kind of leave it at that i just think it's a much better movie i enjoy the hell out of it i can't count how many times i've watched it the story is just really good okay i'm gonna ask uh, jamie um does she love or hate that Blair Witch 2 movie? I love it. And uh, anyone who listens to the ABCs of Hidden Horror will know that we covered that show on the B episode. And after we did that, surprisingly, we got a lot of people coming out of the woodwork talking about how they really liked it, they really liked it. Which surprised me because up until that point, I'd only ever heard people bash it. And I didn't get that. I didn't understand it because there are a lot of... A lot of themes that are covered in this film that I really enjoy. Um, the whole perception is reality thing, I think, is brilliant. And to me, now I know that we can only judge a film on what we get, and that's true. However, if we ever were able to get a director's cut of this film, one, it would be very different, and I think it would be so much better. This is an example of the production company barreling their way in and making all these decisions, even down to the opening song, which he wanted to use uh, witchcraft. And they said no, uh, like the Frank Sinatra. And, and they said no, and they, so they ended up using Marilyn Manson. However, that's one change that I'm okay with, only because it really puts me in the mindset Whenever I go to watch that film and the Marilyn Manson kicks in, I'm immediately transported back to the time period. And I love that aspect of it. So I don't have a problem with that at all. But that's just an example of how it would be different. And it wouldn't include all those crazy, shaky, uh, flashback nuthouse scenes, which I think kind of drag it down. I don't think it's necessary. There are things that I would change about this film. There are things that I, I mainly I want what the original vision was because I think it was a, a, co a more cohesive story, but I'm still happy with what we did get. I think it's 
I think is really interesting. I love the fact that it's very uh, self-aware and that, you know, this is, it, it's actually about the hype around the film itself, which, you know, really did affect the people of that town in real life. So I think that's very cool. I don't know. I love the whole, the, the S rever thing. Um, that was, that's really fun. And Oh, and the fact that you can go, cause and when you're doing the S rever <clears throat> thing, you can actually go through and see the little messages in the film, like just the little, what am I trying to say? Like subliminal messages within the, the, the frames of the film. I always, there are some performances in this film that I really enjoy as well. And when, oh, what's her name? The wife, um, the researcher, Tristan. Yeah. When she, when she does her bit at the end where she's, she starts to like go nuts and they're kind of chasing her and then she ends up getting hanged. I love her through that whole thing. I just think she's fantastic. So yeah, I'm right there with you. I love, love, love this movie. I actually enjoy it more than the original by quite a bit. So I have no complaint about you picking this film. Yeah, I just, for me, I like the first one. Don't get me wrong. But for me, it's just, it gets very boring. And this one just, this one just keeps you rolling through what's going on. Get sick of Heather Donahue just screaming fuck all the time. It, which is kind of what it boils down to, to me after watching it so many times over the, honestly, the first time I, cause I saw Blair Witch in the theater, I was not that, it didn't scare me, not even a little. And um, the only time it has ever been able to scare me was because I watched it at home. I turned out all the lights and I was high out of my gourd and that I had to create the atmosphere basically to make that film scare me. Yeah. And so yeah, I went to the theater to see it too. And when I went, I was shocked. There was like, we hit a matinee and there were a bunch of families in there with kids. <laughs> like I'm, I'm like waiting this. And as Jamie said, when she, you know, she's running around screaming fuck all the time. I was like waiting for someone to leave. Nobody left because white people. That's why. And yes, they were. It was, it was in a white trash part of town where the theater was. So nice. <laughs> oh, but Jeffrey X, what what do you think, sir? Love this movie. Love it. I love meta movies anyway. I mean, if you can catch me off guard and give me a a, a good mind fuck, if it's a good mind fuck, then I'm pretty happy. And so Blair Witch Two makes me happy because I think it took real fucking balls to make a straight Hollywood movie about a low-budget indie film that recognizes the first movie as a movie, and then it takes it a few steps further. Yes. You know? Because it would have been easy for a movie like this to just be a complete structural mess, but I don't think I don't think it is. I like how it, it fucks with time frames, mm-hmm. and it expands on the original legend, which was, you know, let's face it, sketchy at best. And it throws out some really great visuals. And I think people were pissed off that it wasn't a found footage flick, like the movie before and the movie after. But (laughs) I still think it works completely within the parameters of the franchise. You still get the Blair Witchy shit. You get the stick man and you get Coffin Rock. But you also get this fantastic reaction to the response that the original film elicited. I mean, fans are crazy. They are assholes sometimes. And we know this. And the movie illustrates this really, really well. So, 
I like how Soul manages to propagate the myth that the legend is true, but you know, it's a story about a story within a story, and it shouldn't mm-hmm. work at all, but it does. It's got really ambitious reach, and it's got some social commentary, mm-hmm. and some time-space continuum fuckery, and a miscarriage. So, I mean, really, <laughs> what's, what's not to love? It's got wide fucking parameters, but man, I dig it. I understand that this is a divisive film. You're either going to love it, or it's going to piss you off, but... I love it, and I'm angry that there is no Blu-ray of this film. Thank you. I'm there hoping that they're trying to piece together the director's cut and then give us the Blu-ray. That's what I really want. That would be ideal. How uh, how many of you have, over the years, told someone to keep their motherfucking change? <laughs> <laughs> I love like that. that scene. I love it. Kim Director is, ah, she's amazing. In she's movie. so great. And I could look at her all day and be just happy. <laughs> oh, yeah, me. Oh, me. Yeah, I enjoyed this film much more than the first one, but I, I've, I've told on, on a couple of podcasts, I think, about how I feel about that first one, about how me and my father went not see in the theaters. Me and my father didn't go see much together in the theaters, and me and about the rest of the people in the theater just, just wanted their money back on that first movie. It was just... It, it, it had a great advertising campaign, which this one lacked, and... I'm going to leave that first one alone, but I think the reason why a lot of folks didn't dig this one, like you guys said, because it wasn't a found footage film, and they were such found footage junkies at that point that they want to consume everything that was supposedly scary. And <clears throat> I saw, I'm sorry, people who love found footage. I'd say out of the 25 that I've seen, I'd say four of them are good, and wrecks in there that are the good ones. And yeah, they're just, they're just, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I find most, I, I I keep watching them, hoping that I'm going to see something good, but it just, for me, it seems like a bad excuse. Oh, well, we don't have to put anything together. We can just give a camera to everybody and do found footage. It's like no one puts any thought into actually creating a movie. It's just, no, we'll just give everybody a camera, run well, around. This, it's like, this, we'll, is unpop- this is unpopular, but, yo, I, I'm not a big fan of Jolly. Show me a good one, and I might enjoy it. You know, just it's, it's I'll, I'll I'll watch them if, if if somebody highly recommends it to me, and there's a good chance I might like it. You know, but it's it's really hard to find those diamonds in the rough for me in, in the found footage genre. You know, what's and funny I, is when this one came out, everyone was bitching that it wasn't like the first one. Then you skip ahead like 20 years, and everyone's bitching that the third one is like the first one. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck, people? What do you want? What do you Your want? Damn mind. <laughs> and honestly, for the record, I liked Blair Witch too. I did too. So it's like full circle. To see? me, this is to me. I, I just think that this is a solid trilogy. I haven't watched the new one yet. Yeah, yeah, I haven't watched it either. I'll, I'll, if I can get it cheap, I'll get it. And we'll, I'll watch it uh, for sure. And um, if this one, like I said, the characters are a lot more fleshed up because they're. They're actors and not, you know, well, they, 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 those folks were actors too, but I guess that was fleshed out. I agree with Jamie, and it, 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 it really kicking my brain to right now how unnecessary those asylum scenes were when uh, Colonel Sanders' Joe Friday really hit it home that this guy was a troubled troubled person and he's <laughs> right. Re- he, he re- he re- See, that's what I'm talking about. Hey, Colonel- no, God! Damn Blair Witch! <laughs> <laughs> really, 
at home that he was a a troubled youth and he had he had these 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 problems with his you know whatever he's been inside whatever they ain't going on putting some white goo down his his mouth and shit gross but um <laughs> uh, I keep expecting are... him to say um huh. um oh shit I lost it god damn it no the ger- <laughs> what the, the Germans got to do with it. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, um, the rest of the cast was fine too. Um, sexy goth girl, uh, disposable wicked girl who nobody's more happy that she died than I was in that movie. It's just uh, yeah, she she seemed like wicked to, to to be, and I could be totally wrong about this ex to be ironic, but uh, some of the shit she could be talking was true. I I don't know. I don't follow that rhetoric, and so I couldn't tell you for sure. So well, if you're listening, if you're listening to the show and you are Wiccan, I, I apologize for my ignorance. So I'm not Wiccan, but I, I do think that maybe Persephone was the wrong goddess to try to invoke in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, fun stuff. I, I love the stuff. Everything everybody else mentioned about the perception of reality. You know, the stuff. Their their vision of reality, which was not the actual reality, it was just a bunch of them just st- being stabby stabby with each other all ceremoniously and running naked through the woods, which sounds like my kind of Saturday night, but without the the death and um, not me being naked because that's gross, but other folks being naked and me possibly viewing that and uh, <laughs> I, <guess I'm> a, <laughs> I leave my clothes on. Thank you very much. You know, nobody wants to see my hairy ass back. Well, well I'll, I'll leave it at that though. But um, yeah, Blair Witch too. Good time. I'm sure I'll dive into more when we can talk about Suzanne's next pick, oh, which is God. the film that she hates that people seem to love. Suzanne, tell us all about it, babe. Avatar. This movie makes my head hurt. I've and I've watched it with my husband, who seems to think he's like it's such a beautiful movie. I'm like, yes, but there's no substance. I've always referred to this movie as Dances with Smurfs in Fern Gully. And each of those movies did it much better. James Cameron, I just think, is such a gigantic asshole. It's like I can see him sitting in his screening room, jerking off to his movies, going, oh, my God, I'm so good. I, and I just I gave it like half a star because I really like Stephen Lang and I really like Sigourney Weaver. But I just visuals do not make a movie. If you're five years old, hells yeah. But this is supposed to be this movie that took so long to make because they were waiting for technology to come around so they were able to be to do it. And he talked about that so much. And, oh, yeah, we had to wait for technology. Is there anything of any substance in this movie? Anything. I can't think of anything. And I've noticed in his movies, since I had to watch two, apparently blue is his favorite color. Everything seems to have this blue wash to it. And I just... I, I I just I cannot I, I can't it's I find his dialogue just to be silly and stilted and his narratives are just monotone and boring. And when they were running through the trees, this one just started cracking me up. Every time they were running through the trees and they would light up under their feet, I got Billy Jean going through my head. <laughs> I mean, seriously, when they were walking, it was like, do, 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 do. <laughs> and I thought of that. That would have made it better, maybe. <laughs> it just, it's not a good movie. And Pat has tortured me with this movie. 
every time I would pick up my phone to make a note, he would pause the movie. It's like, oh, no, I'm not turning it back on until you put your phone down. If I would go to the kitchen to get a glass of water, oh, I'm pausing the movie until you come back. It took me four hours to watch this movie. I held it for two hours so he would not pause it again. I don't understand what people see in this movie. Like I said, it's all been done before. And I think Fern Gully did it much better. He said a more imposing villain in Fern Gully. I'll get into that when I talk about it for sure. (laughs) I just, I hate this movie. And on top of this, one of my friends, her, her ISP got hijacked because somebody was downloading Avatar and she got like this $200 fine. And she's like, I didn't even do it. They, they finally traced it down and it happened to somebody else that I know. They got a fine in the mail for downloading it. And everybody's just gone goddamn crazy over this. It's one of the reasons I hate it. I just hate it. I can't stand it. It makes my head hurt. End of rant. End of rant. Okay. Um, X, what did you think, sir? This was a first-time watch for me because I've been avoiding this movie <laughs> ever since it came out. But no, I had to go and fuck that up for me, Suzanne. Sorry, X. I am flummoxed that this movie is the record holder for most money ever made by a movie worldwide ever. How? Just, this is a three-hour-long Lisa Frank movie. It glows in the dark like the fucking Blacklight Alley fight in Batman and Robin. And the story is just a bunch of fucking unrelated mythology just bollocks together from multiple sources, like some Norse mythology, some Native American mythology, and it's just full of third-rate Harry Potter creatures and terrible dialogue, and it's a dumbed-down version of the Force, and it's the it's, it's the Eloy voice versus the Morlock. It's the Christians versus the Natives, and you've got main characters that have tails made out of Google fiber that can connect with other creatures, so you can draw... Are you shaming? All of this, a fucking hour and a half of just bright colors and creatures about two steps below Gungans in design and range of motion. And then, like Suzanne said, it turns into like a shitty combination of Fern Gully and Chuck Norris's Forest Warrior. I wasn't sure you could get preachier than the Lorax, but this movie sure as shit does it. I got a concussion from all the fucking (laughs) ham-fisting in this movie. I don't give a shit about the Navi. I give less of a shit about the humans. And this is just this. This is what Cameron thinks of as a morality tale. You know, just this big militarized Gaia storyline. And it's insulting. I mean, think about it. The big robot in the final battle has a big robot buoy knife. The robot war machine with missiles and turret guns has a knife, like a fucking redneck Voltron, and that's pretty much (laughs) all you need to know about Avatar. The character design is just awful. Everything is just so smooth and weird, and the environmental agenda is presented in capital letters, and like a lot of Cameron's movies, it's such a blanket story, you can put anything under it. Oh, save the rainforest, save the whale, stop fracking. It's whatever you need it to be, and that's gotta be why it was such a hit. Because when you don't have your own agenda to slap under it, this avatar's bad. 
It's more than bad. It is fascinatingly bad. This is dirty diaper bad, where you're like staring at some terrible, awful shit, and you don't know how it got there because you don't remember feeding your kid anything like what you're looking at. Why is this purple? Why is it on fire? What is that smell? Where did that corn come from? We haven't had corn all week. And why the voiceover? Oh, my God. Fuck. We know what's going on. How could we not? You might as well have the the cast just wearing T-shirts that say imperialism is bad. This is just horrible fucking allegory. And you can smell it coming through the screen. And I don't care how much CGI you wrap shit in. It's still shit. But it's okay because, you know. The moral of the whole story is, no matter what your problem is, no one can correct your situation except a white guy. Even if it's a white guy pretending to not be a white guy. He's Fuck a this face. movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck this fucking movie. It's very nice sex. <laughs> Jamie, can you follow up, girl? Come on, though. Uh, well, here we go again. Uh, this is also a first-time watch for me because I have been avoiding the fuck out of this movie since it came out. I do not worship at the altar of Cameron. He's made some good movies. I'll, I, I agree with that. I don't hate his entire catalog, but this and Titanic can both go piss up a rope. But I have avoided it successfully for a very long time until now. Thank you, Suzanne. Um, I, oh, you're so welcome. Just, <laughs> so, and, you know, Brian doesn't hate the film. He acknowledges that it's, you know, what it is. But uh, he doesn't hate it. So we actually own it. Because um, he got it cheap somewhere at some point. And he said, you know, he's like, well, you know, it's basically Dances with Wolves. You know. And I'm like, well, this is what I picture. I have always pictured it being Dances with Wolves in Fern Gully. And... That we're supposed to be blown away by the effects. Well, you cannot blow me away with effects. I I don't hang my hat solely on effects. You know, uh, one film that that worked for was Jurassic Park. When I saw that, I peed my pants. I was so excited. Oh, well, I don't think I actually did, but I was close. But it would have been, been a better story if you had. That was I know. But that was also that it also would have been more in character if I. <laughs> that was also a riveting story. I mean, a very good story, and their reactions to what they were seeing sold it too. I, that there's a completely different animal there, you know. So by the time we got around to this, I was just like, well, you can't impress me with effects alone. I don't care to see effects alone. That's not going to do it and so when we watched this i discovered that well i was right it it was exactly what i thought it was going to be and when i say exactly i mean beat for beat i didn't know anything uh, about the specifics of the story here i just knew the rough idea of the story and i kind of filled in the blanks in my own head every one of those blanks was was dead on the money when he met her and then he she's taking him back to the village and i'm like oh let me guess her dad is the leader you know, and then his, and then her dad comes walking out, and she's like, "Oh, my father!" And he's like, "Your father!" And I'm like, "Oh my God, who's surprised?" You know, um, <laughs> and then we meet the, you know, the rival brave. I don't, I don't know what it, the the other guy, and I'm like, "Well, this can go one or two ways. Either they will be mortal enemies, and he'll end up killing him, or the or the bad guy will end up dying at the end, 
but that's unlikely considering how the rest of this film is playing out. So chances are he will he will come to respect him as his brother. Well, surprise. Um, later on in the film, when we get those like weird rhino creatures, like the Deus Ex Machina, where they come running through the forest, and I was like, oh, I'm totally shocked. And Brian's like, what? You didn't see that coming, teasing me. He's like, you didn't see that coming. And I'm like, who didn't see that coming? All we heard about in the beginning was how ferocious they were and how thick their armor was. And then we magically don't see them for about two hours. Of course, they're going to come tearing through the brush at exactly the right time. If you don't see that coming, then you don't know how to movie. Uh, apparently, Cameron knows how to movie because I guess from what we get here, it looks like he read a manual because that's exactly <laughs> how it seems. This is storytelling 101, but now he needs to read the revised edition because <laughs> this is really old and out of date. And what kills me is how he has what six more movies four more movies coming for avatar that he wants to do and what the fuck are you gonna do with them like dude do not tell me you expect all the people who poured out money to be blown away by these effects at the time because by the way they're not all that astounding right now and perhaps if, it if was i had so seen fucking- it- I'm sorry, but if it was such no. a fucking advanced technology movie, then why are all the subtitles in papyrus font? Fuck you! <laughs> I, At least uh, it wasn't Comic Sans. Might as well be. <laughs> One thing I have to say about the effects is I do think the backgrounds were beautiful. Uh, the like the the actual jungle itself that was very pretty, but the creatures, I just think they looked bad. They were shiny. I mean, just it just. They were they did not look good to me. As a matter of fact, like when I was looking at those like rhino creature things, I thought it was a step down from Jurassic Park. You know, when I was because when we're watching the Apatosaurus walk across the screen in Jurassic Park, I feel like I can touch out and reach that skin. You know, here I just didn't feel that. Well, I so, mean, the, it was texture. Go, yeah, it was, yeah, it was definitely texture. There were texture problems here, and. Um, we spent so much time in the uncanny valley here, and I know that you can't help that. I mean, I know that even today, you it's difficult. You can't really help that. But it just made it weird. Every time the Sigourney Weaver, or Grace's avatar, was talking, it just was so weird to me. Because it's like her top lip was completely missing. I'm like, what? what? It just looked funny. I couldn't, I don't know, I, I couldn't. I couldn't get completely sucked in because every time I looked at them, I was aware that I was looking at something that wasn't real. And their so, skin looked like a bunch of, like if you put a bunch of now and laters in the microwave and just melted them. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, so like I said, the story was beat for beat for beat exactly what I expected it to be. No surprises there. The one bright spot, I think, was Stephen Lang. He was kind of, I mean, he was way over the top as a villain, but that's not his fault he um he did have some funny moments like when he's on fire and he just kind of brushes it off you know i think that's kind of funny when he kicks through the door and he's like masks on you know and he's just holding his breath and he's shooting after them you know Uh, i mean he's a badass you know so that was something but i mean just something entertaining i i think as a as far as the narrative is concerned it was it was you know it was like we have good on one end of the spectrum and evil on one end of the spectrum and never shall they meet, uh, you know, because Cameron doesn't seem to understand that characters have nuance or should. 
But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know what he plans to do with this and how he plans to fool the people into coming back in the theater because it's if any of those people who forked over the money the first time give one tiny iota about actual story, then they're not coming back because there isn't one. And oh, I, I, I hate to say this, but I think people will continue to go. I don't. I mean, maybe they will, but you know. That's their money, not mine, I guess. But, And there are people who do, like, worship at the altar of Cameron. I'm just not one of them. But because to me, it's films like this and even films like Titanic, it was just all – he was so – I think your – I think your uh, your visual, which thank you for that too, <laughs> of him jerking off in the screening room is pretty accurate. I do think he thinks he's the shit. And I just don't get it. Like – well, there's another movie coming up that um, th- that has some similarities to me, uh, to Titanic, for instance. But <clears throat> it's it's like what he does, like the actual sinking of the ship in Titanic. Love it. I think that's some of the best cinema visually, you know, out there. But the rest of the bullshit going on around that, I don't give a fuck. And why are you making me watch three hours of it? And that's kind of what I thought here, only I wasn't even impressed with the visuals that much here. But like I said, I I didn't see it at the time. I'm sure if I saw it at the time and I saw it in 3D, it would have been a completely different experience. Because I remember I was uh, podcasting with Bo at the time when this came out. He went to go see it and he said, you know, when he got back, he was just like, oh, like he really loved it. The, the spectacle of it. You know, not the story, but he really like loved the actual experience of seeing this film in the theater. And he said, you know, I just it made me want to live there. I'm like, well, that's great. I still don't care. <laughs> I mean, I'm still not going because I just have a feeling that there's nothing more to it. Now, I kind of wish I had at the time just so I'd have something to compare it to or just so I could say, yeah, yeah, I was there for that. But, yeah, whatever. I'm over it. I am. Um, yeah, I don't see myself ever having to watch this again except it is in our collection and that means that eventually we're going to get to it and probably not that far off from now since it starts with an a so i guess i'll be visiting this one one more time sometime in the near future to be fair you guys watch it you guys watched it already so you can just say yeah we watched avatar yeah, I was it. gonna. I was gonna see if we could get away with that, but yeah, yeah. Similarly, Suzanne, yeah, yesterday I got up to go to the bathroom, and Brian goes, "You want me to pause this?" And I said, I turned around and said, "No," <laughs> and he didn't. Though he's like, "Okay." Oh, Pat I think was he was torturing me too. <laughs> oh, I did. I didn't even make my wife watch this movie with me because I love her. Mm. Yeah, me, me and Avatar. Avatar and me, cat people, burn shirts so you know that they're human. Um, me, yeah, that was the thing in this movie. They they wore shirts. That's how you knew which ones were the human cat people. Um, I, I like it okay. I mean, like like, like Suzanne said, they they were really hard to, to, to make it visually appealing. A lot of a lot of blues, uh, whatever. But a lot of stuff borrowed from other people. Like this is just this is just Pocahontas with people wanting some weird ore that's worth a lot of money, and um, uh, it, it broke the cardinal rule in my opinion. 
you made me dislike Giovanni Ribisi, and that's 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 <laughs> not that's not that's not nice. <laughs> This is an actor that I've enjoyed since I was small. I mean, my two dads, you know, way back in the day, he was always that guy that never quite got Stacey Keeney because Chad Allen was just hanging around. And, you know, I, I, I fell for that dude. The, 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 he was the Ducky Dale of my two dads. So I, I can relate to that to, to, to no end. And, um, yeah, they made me dislike him as a movie. Not even as like, oh, wow, he's this weird, he's this... This ruthless corporate stooge who wants his or It's like, no, the character just had no substance to him whatsoever. It's like, yeah, send the military in there. Uh, you got one hour to tell these motherfuckers to clear out. You know, like, no, it's just, it's just not good. He's just not good in that movie. And you, you made him, you made, you made me hate him. And so if there's a bigger, a bigger fallacy that you ever pulled Jimmy Cameron is that you made me hate an actor that I like and just about everything else that he's in. Even Ted, because he's just a man-child in Ted, but he's there. I mean, you know, he has excuses. He's a, a mental case. This one's just of a corporate stooge. Let's go get that ore. Come on, come on, Stephen Lang. Get your robot men together. And I, I kind of like the the the, the Bowie knife at the end <laughs> when he had the Bowie knife because I was like, this is my distinctive mech. Nobody else. Tra- What's, what's the line? What's there the are line? many like there it, are many but this, like one, it, is but this one is mine. This one is mine. Yes, <laughs> this is the one with the knife in case my gun fails. And, uh, I thought it was a shame that Sigourney Weaver didn't like hijack one and yeah, get into a well, fight with him please. just to relive that moment. Yeah, I made this post on Facebook about Sigourney Weaver being an alien sympathizer ever since her her role in Alien Alien Resurrection, which she sympathized with her alien baby ever since then. What the like, fuck you know, is it with Cameron in mech suits? I don't know. I, I happen to enjoy the mech suits, though, as far as, like, as a concept. Because I played a lot of those games, or a lot of those tabletop mech warrior games when I was uh, in my younger, more money-wasting gaming days. But, um, yeah, the film itself is just over, overly bloated and boring, and I, I hate the fact that He's mating, fo- mating, waiting, speaking of mating, hubba hubba with that tail sex with those animals. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but making yeah. people wait. Oh, go, I'm sorry. No, what? I hate the fact that he's making people wait, you know, for these sequels. The people that are waiting because of Star Wars franchise, this is, this is not. And I don't think it has that kind of staying power to where, much like uh, sci-fi on, tele- on tele- like network television, I don't think it's gonna do so well. It would be like be like Valerian, which you know what? That Valerian film is a pretty decent flick. I mean Luke Bassan, I think did a really good job, but they gave him a whole lot of money to do it with and that was their first mistake. Was giving Luke Bassan a whole bunch of movie, movie money to make a sci fi movie that nobody ever heard of. They had the same problem with um John Carter for Disney, which is terrific. If you guys haven't seen it before, it made a lot of money o- overseas, but that was a sci-fi film that that worked, but nobody went and saw because nobody knew what the fuck it was. But this made a whole bunch of money. But I, you know, I don't, I don't fear for anything because Jim Cameron's probably richer than God by now. But <laughs> I, I, I fear that you know it's going to be a big old waste of time for for the people that are involved that are going to go see this movie, and the people that are going to go be working on the set for this movie, and you know, those those female actors who want equal pay <laughs> working on this movie. And I love again back to Francis McDormand. I, I I commend you. Tell those bitches to read their fucking contracts. You you are uh 
You're a god of a woman, Francis McDormand. But uh, uh, Avatar is uh, it's 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 visual uh, all up in your face, but not a lot of substance. And I feel sorry for uh, I forget the actor's name, but he's. He plays the robot voice nerd in Grandma's Boy because he actually plays a pretty good part in this movie. Oh, Joel. Uh, Joel David Moore. David Moore, yeah. Yeah, he plays a pretty good part in this movie, I think. Whereas oh. Sam Worthington is is another one, and I'll get into uh, when I talk about my movies. Uh, how, how an actor can be worthless? He's pretty worthless in everything. He's in two. He's in two failed Cameron franchises, in my opinion. He's in that Terminator Salvation movie, and he's in. He's in this one, and he sucks in this one too. People, oh, what's his name? Uh, Sully or uh... Jake Sully? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jake Sully. One word, you know. <laughs> um, Navi cannot can't emote uh, again. Much much like Owen Wilson, they can't emote unless they're they're sort of crying, but they only they only show tears sometimes. Only when beloved family members are gonna die, and uh, yeah, her brother in this movie. He, he can just go piss up a rope like Jamie said. He's just terrible. Just sticking his chest out like he's got some kind of muscle definition. Like, yeah, I'm the I'm the king shit around here. What you gonna do about it, Jake Sully? And they don't know that he's a, uh, a human with a... I don't even know what the fuck to call these things. They're alive, but they're not alive. These fucking Avatar flesh suits. I, I, I don't know. But, um... Yeah, it's not very good. I think we said... I, we said a lot about this already, and I'm, I'm not gonna sway you or, or whatever. If you like Avatar, I'm not gonna say you know what you're stupid because this isn't that kind of show. I, I would never say you're stupid for liking a movie because I like lots of dumb shit. But apparently, millions upon millions love this movie. And Suzanne says, you know what, you guys are wrong. And so the rest <laughs> is cast. But um, I'm gonna leave it at that, and I'm gonna go into uh, I'm gonna jump into my picks now <clears throat> for my love and hate. Starting with the Courtney Solomon, Justin Whalen Slan, Jeremy Irons hamming up Dungeons and Dragons from the year 2000. Yeah. Yeah, this movie right here. Um, and I know what people are going to say. This movie's real dumb. And the CG looks like something less than Asylum with those dragons and stuff. And you are, you are correct. But you know what? I love this film for the same reason why I love the Masters of the Universe films. That the actors within it are all in with this bad script and everything else. Because I think Jeremy Irons is, is and Bruce Payne, respectively, as Demodar, as his right-hand man who just beats the fuck out of everybody, are, are, are just over the top and really into their roles. And they know they're bad, but they're, they're, they're going to play them. Just like Langella in, 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 in Skeletor. And I really appreciate about this film is, is that. And I think Justin Whalen is a, cl- a classic, you know, uh, classic, like, lappy, jokey Han Solo type with a sword. And I, I, I can appreciate that. And he pulls it off for well. But the, there's stuff that's, that's bad about this film. And I think that Marlon Wayans, although he's there, he doesn't live through the film. If you've never seen it before. He um d- doesn't doesn't make it, but I don't think he's entirely necessary either to be comic relief to this already comedic character. But um, Thor Birch and Jamie Slyko, here he goes again. You know, I I think Thor Birch is one of those actresses who's just worthless and everything. 
I don't think I've ever seen a Thora Birch role that I have liked, even as a kid when she was running around with a monkey in that movie with Harvey Keitel. I don't disagree. I, I think she's just worthless as an actress. I mean, tried, I, I've tried to finish Ghost World like five times. I really wanted to like it, and I still haven't finished it yet. I don't it's think I've just, ever seen a role in which she didn't look like she was on the verge of falling asleep every second. Yeah. Even, even Hocus Pocus, a beloved childhood classic to most. She is easily the worthless char- most worthless character in the entire film, and it, it's, it's, it's there. It's, even as a child, she sucks. She sucks in this movie, too. Why would fuck would you ride a dragon when wizards are throwing fireballs at these dragons and they're falling out of the sky? I know you're this this wonderful sorceress with a staff and yada yada bullshit. And uh, but there are literally an army of Saurons in the other tower shooting fireballs at your dragons as they're falling from the sky. So you're you're a moron there, Queen Thora Birch, Queen of the Mages. There's a weird class system in this movie, and that that you know. The, the thieves are, are thieves, and the mages rule all, whatever. But you know what? You get some good 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 good, good uh, Bruce Payne stuff in this movie. You get some good Jeremy Irons in this movie. I really dig Justin Whalen. I tried to reach out to him to, to possibly come on the show to talk about this movie, because I think it would be kind of great. And you know what? Richard O'Brien shows up in this movie, and I think he's pretty awesome, as, as, as Xylus, the, the king of thieves. And, um... But there's lots of stuff to hate, and I'm sure you guys are going to know how much that freaking dwarf and that elf are worthless in this movie. But um, I'm going to kick it to Jamie and ask her what she thought of 2000's Dungeons & Dragons. You know, <laughs> this movie, I don't, I don't hate it. I, I probably should, but I don't love it either. It just kind of is. There are things that annoy me about it, but I don't think I and I wish it was better because I do love D and D, and so I. It's not exactly what I would want from a D and D film, but I don't. I don't know. I just don't have massive hatred in my heart for it. I do own it, you know. And um, before I met Brian, when I was with Patrick, he was like, "Why?" And he was like a big a big D and D guy too, and he was like, "Why do you have that movie?" <laughs> Like, what are you talking about? It's Dungeons and Dragons. He's like, yeah, it's not good. And I'm like, I know, but I don't, I don't know. I, I find it kind of entertaining at times. I don't, I, I can't really fall on one side of the fence, though. It just kind of is middle of the road for me. Like I said, there are things that I wish were better. There are things that kind of annoy me, but I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's a piece of crap that a lot of people seem to think it is. That's that's my argument, basically. A lot of folks just despise it. I see it in theaters. I had a good time. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can have fun with it. <laughs> it's like, here you go. Yeah, you can play with this. I'm, I'm, just, I'm tired of this toy, you know? <laughs> oh, Suzanne, I know she has some great stuff to say about Jeremy Irons' hair. I'm sure she can do it right now. All oh, about oh, it. oh, my God. From the time the movie started... And Jeremy was on screen in his hair. Oh, my God. His hair outacted Thora Birch. Because I agree with both of you. She is just like a non-entity for me. She's just kind of... I mean, I, I think that there is a plant in the corner that had more range than she did. But overall, I don't hate this movie either. It was fun. I, I had fun watching it. And like I said, J- Jeremy Irons' hair just outacted everything on the screen with him. And he was all in. It just, I don't understand how they got the cast for this that they did. 
But yeah, it's it's a fun little movie, and I don't hate it. I think that purple face guy with the with the third eye had more acting range than Thor Birch in this movie. Yeah, that guy, and then the thieves guild with the sticking his tongue out and shit. <laughs> uh, she is just she is awful. Oh, that's another show altogether. <laughs> <laughs> Where I may actually finish Ghost World. We'll see what happens though. Uh, Jeff I'm X. not all that crazy about Marlon Wayans. I, I get, yeah. It, I mean, I like seems, him in general, but in, do, in this like film, he annoys me. You know, it just seems like there's that, there's that two comedy reliefs, and like there should be like one sort of straight man and one comedy relief, but you have two comedy reliefs that are kind of clashing a bit. Um, X, what do you think, sir? You know, I have played D and D, I think twice in my whole life. So I don't have a whole lot of experience with the game, but I know that if this movie were a game that I was playing, I would never touch a multi-sided die again. Because <laughs> really, here's, well, there it here, is. Here's what happens in the first five minutes of this movie. Somewhere in Cleveland, Simon Gruber and Mister Freeze use the gravity drive from the Event Horizon to unleash Denver, the last dinosaur. But that doesn't work. So Gruber goes before the Galactic Council to have Padme Amidala's power stripped from her. Meanwhile, Justin Long's younger brother and Loke Dog break into Weasley's wizarding wheezes and run into ma- Magic Velma and Dumbledore, and then they make friends with Seamus Gimli. And yay, there's our party. What the fuck is going on in this movie? Thank God Richard O'Brien showed up to make it cool for just a little minute. I'll say this. Bruce Payne is as great in this movie as Thora Birch is terrible. It's like she got drunk, watched the Neverending Story, and said, fuck, I can do that. I think Justin Whalen played Jerry O'Connell very well. But Marlon Wayans, <laughs> Marlon Wayans is always Marlon Wayans. That's fine. It's just the, the, the low budget is really what kills this movie because, uh, yeah, the, the dragons look like tub toys. Bad dragon dildos look better than the dragons in this movie. And I realize nobody sets out to make a movie like this, you know, but. Dungeons and Dragons feels like it was genetically designed to be shown on HBO at four in the afternoon every other day until the end of time. This is a movie where you can tell the bad guy by his lavender lipstick. That's that's some schlock right there. But I don't know. It's it's harmless. And I can't say that for some of the other movies on this episode. But I still don't know what happened at the end. I don't get the ending. That was one of the lousiest setups for a sequel I've ever seen. What happened? What, the stone turning to sparkles and them all disappearing? I don't know. And then they all uh, turn into fucking comets and zoom away well, somewhere. It's the end of Solar Babies, essentially, but without the deterioration. <laughs> you know. They're not doing hand motions in the, in the water, you know. No, but set you free. Oh, my God. Hey, we've got water now. Check it out, y'all. Let's go dance in the ocean. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But um, yeah, this is where we, we take a break. No, I don't take a break. I got to get my hate movie, which is kind of a, in, in a way a redemption movie, but not really because I liked it a little bit better. This is the hell night of emo films to me because it's it's still a shit sandwich, just not a soggy one. But uh. <laughs> and that's got nothing to do with the Belinda Blair, mind you. It's just I don't think it's a very good movie. But um, my pick for the film that I hate, that everybody else seems to love, is a film, another film from my, uh, my, my, my uh, I think it's 2001, so I was 20 years old when this came out, is Donnie Darko. 
And uh, my my explanation for that is it's this is every kid that I hated in high school rolled into one. The, the, those over-medicated assholes, they played that a big role in this film about how Donnie's got got problems in his head brain. So they drugged him up and took him to the psychologist. And, you know, the, this is the problem, that Donnie's missing his meds. This is why he's sleepwalking down to golf courses. And Do, Donnie's got troubles because he speaks his mind. So you know what you should do? You should give Donnie more drugs because he's speaking his mind. And that that bothers me, especially the way things are today, where if your kid's three years old and he can't sit still, he must have ADD. So that's that's another story that uh, I won't get into, but it's a big beef of mine. These parents over-medicating their kids with, with these drugs, and this film really hits at home that Donnie needs these drugs. And this is... I've had a lot of friends who who've parents took them to psychologists and they put a 14 year old kid on Depakote which is a very high uh, psychiatric drug for people that a 14 year old should not be taking but doctors think it's okay but that's a big part of this film that's one of the big big plot points that really bother me then you get into the aesthetics of the film to where Donnie may or may not be taking his drugs so Donnie may or may or may not be seeing this magic rabbit named Frank who tells him when the world's going to end but, um, yeah, so he's, I guess, living his life to, to the, not the fullest, but to the, to the endest, until towards the end he realizes what time it is, like, wait, fuck, we got six hours left till everything the world's gonna end, I gotta go do something, and then, you know, more bad stuff with bad kids, and they talk about Smurfs and stuff, and yeah, that, that's probably a shining point of the film, where his, his Smurf theory, I think that's kind of hilarious, uh, Patrick Swayze shows up, and he's like this, evangelist of sorts or motivational speaker of sorts and this whole film is just Donnie who may or may not be foiling stuff at the school including burning Patrick Swayze's house down and implanting child porn in, in his domicile or unless the child porn was already there I'd imagine that's something that, that Donnie supposedly did and flooding the school and doing stuff that an, an angry undermedicated youth would do and again, they really hit it home with that bullshit. But I really like that actress that shows up in things that, uh, the, the, um, the, the, as, as like the, the needy mother in this movie, you know, the, um, Beth Grant. Least, yes, that one, who's really starting to doubt your commitment to Sparkle Motion. That, that, that one, she, I, I really like her in things. I like when Chucky beats the fuck out of her with a yardstick in that movie. It's, it's quite spectacular. Um, she can emote real good in that scene. Uh, but, Donnie Darko is 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 still. It was better on on uh, with with a critical eye, I guess. But when you when you get to that ending, because essentially in the film Donnie, if you've ever seen him before, has a near death experience. Kind of a jet fuselage falls through their house in the bed where he if he wasn't sleepwalking, he would have been sleeping in. Well, at the end of the film, you realize that. This is all a delusion of Donnie, because guess what? Donnie was in his bed when this fuselage fell through the house, and now he's dead? Or is this some weird time tunnel bullshit that they, that people come up with and say this is a part of this film, that there's some kind of space-time continuum shit, because there's a whole side plot with Noah Wiley telling about fucking time travel and shit, and I don't know if this is some weird Twilight Zone shit, or some emo shit that I fucking can't stand with my entire fiber of being. So better this time around, but Donnie Darko, you still fucking suck. X, what do you think of the film, sir? 
I love this movie so much. And I think it succeeds where a lot of other movies try to go, but, but don't do well. And that's creating more or less a hard sci-fi movie that deals with inner space instead of outer space. There's a movie, inner space. Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) This is, you know, there's a lot of psychological stuff going on here and there's, there's madness and time loops and, and, you know, hot redheaded Drew Barrymore. But I feel like this is not just literate. This is a very literary film. And it's not adapted from a novel, and I know that, but it feels like you're reading just a really great book. It gets really dark and really weird. And I just I think it's exhilarating. And there are two cuts of the movie. There's a theatrical and the director's cut. I don't like the director's cut. Um because I think it makes it almost too plain. There's a lot of text from a from a book within the movie called The Philosophy of Time Travel, and they explain like tangent universes and and shit like that. And I don't I don't think it helps. There's some backstory to the plot that I just don't. I, I think it diminishes the impact of the movie. So I like the theatrical cut better, but I think this is a movie that works better um, in your subconscious. It's it's like a magic eye poster. It's a schooner, but you know it makes sense when you look through it and not so much at it. So, X. what am I going to see? The goddamn sailboat. That's all I want to know, man. <laughs> it's a schooner. <clears throat> I don't know. Everyone's pretty great in this. I like Sleazy Swayze. He's just, ugh. and I don't think anybody has played the doomed, broody '80s kid better than. Jake Gyllenhaal in this movie. The music is great in the theatrical cut. There's some changes in the director's cut that I don't think are great. Why would you replace Echo the Bunny Man with NXS? Fuck you. Um, but there's a lot of deep concepts in this movie. It's, like I said, it's philosophical, it's scientific, it's a teenager movie, and it pulls so many genres in in such a subtle manner that before you know it, you're thinking. And you're thinking in a way that you don't normally during a film you start trying to put together ideas and figuring out what the mystery you know what's what's going on here and there's one scene um in the movie where donnie's girlfriend asks him what kind of name is donnie darko sounds like a superhero name and to an extent i think maybe donnie is a superhero he's he's christopher reeve superman because he goes back in time and he makes things right and it's tragic and it's gorgeous. And even though I can't watch it you know, all the time, it's not fucking hot fuzz. But when I do watch it, it gets to me on levels that I don't normally like to access. And I think it's great. I love this movie. Yeah, I, I wasn't feeling it. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry that you love it so much. But um, I know a lot of folks love it too. I'm just, I just wasn't feeling it. And I still don't feel it. I still I, I feel like, like Maggie Gyllenhaal feels this movie not much. She's just, just there. And, um, but Suzanne, what did you think of Donnie Darko? Well, this is one of those movies that's kind of a, a non-entity for me. I watched it when it came out. Yeah, it was good, and I just never thought about it again until it popped up to watch for the show. I will say this. I love the cast. I love Mary McDonald. She's a, a little, little more wooden than I would expect, from this, and it was kind of a shock to see Catherine Ross as the psychologist because she just kind of vanished. And yeah. I do, 
I, I enjoy the concepts of the movie, but it's just, like I said, it's, I will watch it if I can't find the remote, but it's just not, it, it just is never, I think it was just, it, I was too old to really enjoy it when it came out. And the high school years were behind me, so I wasn't familiar with, you know, the the drugging up of a generation and kind of that sleepwalk through the movie. So I'm just, I, that's pretty much about all I've got to say about it. Jamie? Okay, well, huh. <laughs> I, this, this, I will say, this viewing completely changed my mind about this film. I went into it having one feeling about it and I came out of it having a completely different one. I haven't seen it since it came out. So it's been about 17 years since I've seen this film. The first time I watched it, I it did not like it at all. I felt I thought it was like emo and up its own ass and I just got bored with it. And I'm just, I was, I was just like, I don't know, I, I was too emo. I'm just like, stop it. You know, um, it was like, I don't know, it should come packaged with a razor blade and some antidepressants. But this time, and so I haven't watched it again since then, just because I didn't like it. So, and I know that it's very popular. Like, everyone loves this movie. Everyone loves this. Even at the time, it was recommended to me by a friend who just was over the moon for this movie. And I watched it. I was excited about it. I was like, oh, well, if she loves it, then great. Then I watched it, and I was like, no. But when I watched it this time, it was completely different. I, for one, had I did not remember all of these people being in this movie. So that was fun. I mean, seeing Noah Wiley and Drew Barrymore and Catherine Ross and... Mary McDonald and uh, Patrick Swayze. I just, it was, that was a fun thing. Cause I didn't, oh, and Seth Rogen. Oh my God. Super young Seth Rogen who apparently liked boobs. Uh, that was, uh, that was kind of awesome. I did not even remember that. I had very little memory of this film. The only thing I remembered was bunny suit and I was annoyed. That's all I remembered. So I went into this and I was like, you know what? I- I'm willing to give it another shot. It's been a long time. Well, I'm very glad that I did because this that 17 years did something. I don't know what it did, but something happened. And I really loved this movie when I watched it last night. And Brian was like, I don't know. He's like, I've always liked this movie. I don't know what's wrong with you. And I'm like, well, I don't either. Let me, let me see again. So, yeah, I, I loved it. I do think that... The story creates a huge paradox by the time we get to the end that I can't quite reconcile with. So we were having a discussion with it about it last night because I'm one of those people that I love time travel movies, but I always get into arguments with people about time travel because I'm one of those people that is just like, it just can't happen. There are too many things. There are too many, you just... One little thing will fuck everything up and it's too... Which, incidentally, if you guys have never seen Primer, that is one of the best time travel films I've ever seen. I absolutely love it. So I recommend that. Yeah. amazing. Yeah. But, um... The, so I was having some difficulty with this because I feel like the very end of it produces this giant paradox in, in that um, the engine that crashes through his bedroom is the engine from the plane that his mother is on 28 days later... I don't know if her husband, her husband, if her son was killed 
in his bedroom if 28 days later any of this would have happened, if she would have ended up going on that trip because so many other things would have been different. I don't know if that would have even been in place for her to be on that plane. So um, I was having difficulty reconciling myself with that. And Brian's like, well, he's like, I think of it more as like an alternate dimension thing. And I said, well, if you do that, it'll work. But I think you're giving him too much credit with that because 17 years ago, people weren't really talking about alternate dimensions that much. I don't think that's what he had in mind when he made the film. I think he was really going with, with, uh, you know, a, a wormhole time travel thing because he keeps nailing it to your forehead throughout the entire film, you know, with all of the, the hawking and, and the grandmother death and, you know, her book, and it just keeps it keeps coming up and he's having these discussions with Noah Wiley and it just keeps coming up and keeps coming up. So I really believe that simple like it's as simple as you you think it is as far as like from his point of view that it just is time. But to me, that doesn't really work if you try to pick it apart. I do like Brian's explanation, I just don't think that that's what he was going for when he made the movie. But if that makes it work better, then, you know, I'll go with that, whatever. I, on the other hand, don't want to sit there and pick apart the film because I can't reconcile this one thing in my mind. You know, because I think there's so much more to this film that that in the end doesn't really matter since I am a person who doesn't believe that time travel would ever be a possibility anyway, I'm okay with just going with it for the narrative's sake because, you know, it's made up. So, okay, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. There are some really touching moments, I think, in this, in this film. One of the things, like one of the, the simplest things that I really love about this film, it's just, a, it's kind of a, maybe even a throwaway scene to most people is the first time we see grandmother death and he gets out of the car. Donnie gets out of the car and he goes up to her and he has this very kind smile on his face. And she's, you know, looking in the mailbox cause that's what she's like a zombie in a Romero film, just doing the same thing over and over and over again. Um, and he goes up to her and he goes, no mail today, maybe tomorrow. And that was a very simple thing. It was a very tiny moment, but I thought it was so sweet. I mean, it just, I don't know, like he wasn't being mean to her. He wasn't being like, you know, get out of the fucking road. You know, he was, you know, he's like, oh, no mail today, maybe tomorrow. You know, and I've, I just thought that was nice. I've got to call social service he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, one of the things that, that Brian was saying, we had this big, long conversation uh, about backing up the alternate reality thing was, or alternate dimension, was the... You know, why is everyone crying at the end? If this is simply a time thing, you know, why do we see these things where people seem to be like, well, Patrick Swayze is crying and Beth Grant is crying. And, you know, what's she crying about? And then um, the 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 girl, the the one girl who had a crush on Donnie Darko, she is, you know, she has this look of peace on her face. And then the one that sells it for me is is we actually see Frank and. He's laying in bed and he's got the drawings that he did for the mask. And then he's got like the, the mold for the mask. And he, when we see him, he touches his eye. Like he reaches up and touches his eye, which of course is where he would have gotten shot later on. So, you know, 
I'm kind of torn. I'm like, is this is this just an alternate dimension? Is this a time thing? But somehow it leaves a stain on when you go back and change time. It leaves like a, an impression because we do get that moment at the end where Mary McDonald and the girlfriend see each other and there is some recognition there, but they don't quite know why. They just feel like they know each other or they recognize each other, but they can't place it. So perhaps if you do go back and change something, then it ends up leaving an impression of what it would have been in some form. Because I kind of feel like the Patrick Swayze's crying because it's more like a personal, uh, like his dealing with his own personal demons kind of thing. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's so many different ways that you could approach this film and so many different conversations that you could have to me that alone makes it totally worth it and however you see it like however you choose to see it as a viewer whatever you take from it i don't think it's wrong i don't i think that that i this is the kind of movie that i would love to sit down and talk to just like six different people with and get six different points of view because I think that you can take in all kinds of different directions. And that is when that's what makes me love art is when you can do that. And it actually it it pushes conversation and it pushes thought. I think that that is the hallmark of art. And I don't know what the hell was going on in my head when I saw this the first time. I really don't. I don't know what maybe I was in some kind of weird place. Maybe I was, for some reason, I was closed off to it. I don't know. But whatever the reason, I am glad that I gave it another watch this time because I've been missing out. And that was a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I wouldn't ask for opinions if I didn't want them. Um, but yeah, that's that's it for my uh, for my picks. And um, after this, I'm going to pop open a beer and we're going to get into Jamie's picks for her, for her love and hate, right after this. Are you tired of the same Hollywood crap? Do you feel like something is missing from your life? Are you looking for a podcast that covers all genres of films? If you said yes to any of these questions, then you should join me, Matt the Angry Ginger, on the Bad, the Weird, and the Cheesy podcast, where I will take you on a journey through the cheeseball films of all genres and hopefully sway you to the dark side. You can find the Bad, the Weird, and the Cheesy podcast on Podbean's iTunes, and you can also track me down on Facebook and YouTube by searching The Bad, The Weird, and The Cheesy Podcast. Let me tell you something, brother. If you want the best wrestling podcast and film podcast combined together, you can only go to one place, and that's the suplex. Whoa, 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 buddy, what are you doing? Huh? What? What are you doing? Uh, I've got a promo for the suplex multiplex, brother. Okay, first and foremost, terrible, terrible Hulk Hogan impersonation. Secondly, we can't do the whole Hogan impersonation. We scrap that. Bye. All right, you see, uh, I don't want to get sued. Uh, we've seen what Hulk Hogan's lawyers can do. Uh, so we just scrapped the idea entirely uh, just to be safe, and we're just going to go a different route. Uh, like what? Uh, I don't know. How about uh, Suplex Multiplex, the best of professional wrestling and cinema? You can find the show at suplexmultiplex.lipson.com and at the freaking awesome network. That kind of sucks. Yeah. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the, the Beef, Love, and Hate episode. And we are up to Jamie now to tell us about the films that she loves and hates. Uh, Jamie, what is your love film that everybody else seems to hate? Well, mine is Survival of the Dead. 
And uh, I know coming out of the gate, I am the only one who is going to be on my side. And I'm okay with that. I have resigned myself to that years ago. But uh, let's see. Here's a little bit of history. I love Romero. And like most people do, the the original trilogy is is very important to me. But on a very deep level, even, uh, Day of the Dead was a film that affected me. Uh, I, I mean, just kind of like, it was almost unreal. To this day, I cannot watch that film if I'm going to be alone and if it's really late at night. I have to, it has to be under certain conditions that I can watch that film or I won't sleep. It scares the shit out of me. And it, it's, I wrote an article about that years ago, about how as a kid, like when it came out, it was all Cold War time and, and we were all, every time you turn around, it was like someone's going to drop a bomb on your head. And I was terrified, you know, I, I would go to sleep with, um, in tears because I was terrified that I was going to look up in the sky and, and see a, a bomb in the sky. And then, you know, I lived in Atlanta, in the south part of Atlanta, so I frequently heard <laughs> gunfire and helicopters. So every night, like, when I would hear something like that, I would think, oh, shit, it's the zombies. So there was actually a period of time when I would sleep with my radio on in case there was some kind of emergency broadcast. I mean, this is, I mean, I was kind of crazy. This is, is just that film really fucked me up. So I have a... I have a quick question, a quick aside. Did you yeah. have one of those weird caged boxes like Anne Margaret had in the beginning of Tommy? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no. Um, I, yeah. Uh, it, so, anyway, Romero's always been very special to me. And when he made... Um, I went to see... The, I went to the premiere in Pittsburgh of Land of the Dead. And so that was really fun because I got to meet him and, and he was like, that was, that was a big deal for me. And then when Diary of the Dead came out, I did not like it at all. I was, I went to the theater to see it. I liked one character and that was the same character that everybody likes, Sam, the, um, the, uh, the deaf, what is he, Quaker or not Quaker, uh, Amish guy. The deaf Quaker. I, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I just, I didn't like it. I was disappointed. I was mad. I was angry. And so then when Survival came out, I don't know what it was about this film. I But the first week that it came out, I watched it three times. And I was in love with it. And just like, I this this movie's great. Like, it it's cheap? Yes. The CGI is bad? Yes. I admit all of that. But... There's one scene in particular that I just absolutely love. And it is the scene where um, Tomboy has been kidnapped and she is at the dinner table with the uh, head bad guy. can't remember his name, which Irish name he has. But... Um, Shame of Shame Shores. Yeah. <laughs> but and she, she goes to take a bite of the food that he has laid out before her. She immediately spits, she immediately just spits it out. She's like, you know, and then they're talking and then just sort of in the background, you kind of see this woman moving around in the kitchen 
And then later you realize that that's not just a woman. That's his wife moving around in the kitchen, but she's a zombie. So then I start to to piece together that this food that is before them has been prepared by a zombie. And so it's gross. And that's that's dumb. I know that's dumb. And even when we were watching, because Brian hates this movie, even when we were watching it and Brian's like, I don't think a zombie could cook. And I'm like, no, that's the point. You get it? They can't. So it's gross. Um, but I love that. I don't know why. To me, it's a, there's something very disturbing about that. So anyway, I acknowledge that there are a lot of things wrong with this film. I am not one of those people that's just like, I love it, so it's perfect. No, it's not. And I know that. But for some reason, something about this movie has just touched my heart. And I don't care that we have a zombie riding a horse. I don't care. All the things that we've seen zombies do over the years, I'm okay with that. I'll take it. It doesn't bother me at all. And that seems to be the one thing that everybody comes back to whenever they want to bitch about this movie or whenever they find out that I love this movie and they're like, what? You mean the one with the zombie riding a horse? Like, yes, that's the one I mean. I I don't care. You know, I... I don't know. I I really enjoy it. So there's that. I'm sorry I made you watch it. I know at least mine was short. Yeah. <laughs> now you'd be surprised at my reaction, but I'm not gonna give mine right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh Suzanne first and see what she thought of it. Okay. I have to admit from the first five minutes until maybe the first fifty minutes into the movie, my reaction went from, Oh wow, look, squibs everywhere to, okay, I kind of am finding the story interesting. The people on the island basically trying to repurpose the zombies to kind of bring them back to what they were before they died. I did find that interesting, and I did have to put the little check mark next to the intestine scene, because you squibs intestine scenes that you gotta have that in a George Romero zombie movie. But this one, I... I started to watch Diary of the Dead, but the shaky cam gave me a headache. So I'm like, nope, I'm opting out of this one. And I was kind of thinking that this one was going to go the same way. But it's, once again, I think this is going to be another one of those that, okay, I've seen it. I'm probably not going to go back to it, but I did find parts of it interesting. Yeah, of course, the zombie riding the horse, uh, his wife in the kitchen cooking, the the guy who was doing, the, the mailman, but they were just trying to make them be what they once were. So I I appreciated that part of it. But it's just, for me, it's always going to be Dawn. And Dawn was the one that made me a little freaked out to go to the mall. And Dawn was the one, that, I think it was like one of the first zombie movies I ever saw, where, I mean, just the the balls on gore really was in your face. So this one, yeah, I don't know if I'll watch it again, but I'm glad I did watch it this time. Fair wow, enough. yay! Yay, exactly. X. Jamie, I, I love you and I respect you a great deal. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Don't feel bad. This, this is a case where you and I are actually kind of opposite because I really didn't hate Diary of the Dead, but wow, this... Uh, Movie. Incidentally, okay. Diary has grown on me a little more over the years. Yeah, I mean, I still don't, I still don't love it, but I'm, I'm okay with it. But okay, okay, Farm of the Dead. Um, it just left me with a lot of questions, really. 
Um, uh, okay. I think the rule is once you remove the head, the the zombie dies, right? And like the head doesn't even stay alive. No, so well, I, because you you've to, got you all those it. heads on stakes. Mm-hmm. Well, if you look at Land of the Dead, Big Daddy has to. He actually crushes a head when it, when one of the zombies gets de- decapitated. The head's still alive, and Big Daddy crushes it. You know, to put him out of his misery. So that's something that he has done. In okay. the past, okay, okay, that's good because I was I, I had forgotten that I haven't seen. Well, if you but if seen you look at, in years, if you look at Dawn, then you know them slicing off the heads you, seems to do the trick. We don't ever actually see any live heads that I can recall laying on the mall floor, so I think that might be something that he kind of added to the mythos in later installments. Okay. When did he add in being able to shove a grill fork through a zombie's forehead? (laughs) Are their bones brittle? Do they have a calcium deficiency that I'm not aware of? Are they fucking are they fucking flammable? How terrible is that CGI fire? I mean, regardless regardless of which movie it's in, CGI fire is just terrible. But this guy. They set his head on fire, and he looked like a little cartoon on the front of a matchbox. Just yeah, it was terrible. I'll, I'll, I, I'm with you. Also, where the hell are we? Off the coast of Delaware, or are we on like Craggy Island? Why does everyone talk like we just wandered onto the set of the sequel to Far and Away? How did all the fucking <laughs> Irish people end up on this island? Is it an internment camp? I know they're like uh, they're like extras from Waking Ned Divine. I, <laughs> I told because Brian was like, "What the fuck? Why is everybody Irish?" And I said, "I'm going to assume that this, and I'm going with it for the story, but I'm going to assume that this was a pocket of like an isolated community that had migrated over and." Like they, you know, immigrated over generations ago and then just never branched out. And they were a very private community, so they held on to that. I don't know that that makes a lot of sense, but uh, think about this, X. If you go up into the mountains, um, you'll run into, you know, uh, you run into some pocket communities there that have not been affected by anything apparently going on in the modern world. So, I mean, I guess it is a possibility, but I don't know. That's the best I could come up with because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but you know, it's, it's a possibility. I'll I'll grant that. And that means that in this movie, we actually have inbred zombies. So that's, (laughs) that's, that's new too. Um, the Hatfields and McCoy kind of bullshit we got going on. I was going to bring Yo- that up. Yes. <laughs> is, is this a Yojimbo remake? Like Yozombo, Last Man Shambling? There's <laughs> just a PETA film because we're training zombies to eat horses. That just leads to zombie horses. Who wants zombie horses? I didn't think Where's I wanted it? zombievers, but let me tell you. Well, that's Magical. way different. <laughs> <laughs> you know, why are they trying to get the horses to eat potatoes or haggis? I just, I don't, I don't know. Everyone, everyone here is Irish. Don't forget it. 
why would you stick your hand into a zombie pen even if your sister is the zombie? Don't you fuckers watch movies? Don't you know what happens when you do that? <sighs> so anyway, this this whole thing just felt like, I don't know, a season six episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. It's The whole thing comes down to a dietary decision. And it's cloaked in this weird tribalistic bullshit and zombies trying to shoot each other and it might have worked for the end of Metal Gear Solid 2 but it's shit for a zombie movie it's just kind of <laughs> shit guess, for a movie movie I just I don't know I, I did not enjoy it I, I'm sorry and I don't I don't argue okay. it's with okay. with I don't argue with any of that I there are just things about like in the beginning when they have the kids I like the theme of you know, wanting to hold on to your family members regardless of what, or, you know, attempting to cling on to your society, like with the mailman chained to the, I mean, they're silly. Yeah. But I like the idea. And at the end where we get the silhouette shot of the two of them trying to shoot each other, that is dumb as fuck. (laughs) I love it though. I do. I, I just, I just think it's great. So I don't know. I'm curious to see what Gary has to say. Yeah, because I'd rather watch Boyo Omega than watch this again. <laughs> well, Gary likes a lot of dumb things, and this this is this is middle of the road. If that means anything to anybody else, as which I've never seen it before, but I I liked the concept. Okay, of the like these almost like feuding families, but in, in a way like ones running the the zombie collection show. Much like he's Christoph Waltz and Glorious Blet Bastards, just looking for the Jews. He's looking for the zombies and just sniffing them out. You got zombies at your house, don't you? I'm gonna go up there and shoot your children. And you know that 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 part was probably the most devastating part of the whole film is when the guy has the his kids chained up upstairs and they know they're in the house and he doesn't want to tell them they're in the house. But yeah, it's 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 it's, it's probably the most emotional part of the entire film because this is a whole lot of whole lot of feuding. Like X mentioned, the Hatfields and McCoys thing, which you're not quite sure why they're feuding. I don't, I don't think. I, maybe I didn't pay that close enough attention to it because I was just waiting for more stuff to happen. And I'll tell you this, it does have a lot more zombies in it than a Walking Dead episode for for the most part, and that that, that works for me because um, within the first five minutes you get that CGI head explosion, which I, I don't love. But I understand for, for budgetary reasons, I'm sure Romero had to cut some corners because I'm sure people weren't foaming at the mouth to make survival of the dead. I just think that this film's biggest fault is it has too much going on. You have the soldiers coming in mixed with this family feud mixed with, you know, again, what Jamie said about them trying to keep their their zombie counterparts alive in spirit as well as as well as in physical form. I just think it's a big old, big old mess of a movie, and not not in a terrible bad way. If you if you, if you watch it, you could say, "Hey, I saw Survival of the Dead," but I'll probably never go back to it again. And that's the way I feel about it. It's it's good enough, but I'll probably never go back. I'll, I'll, I'll watch Day of the Dead a hundred times before I watch this one again. But it's 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 good enough. If I if I had to rate it, it'd probably be a good five and a half out of ten. I've seen a lot worse zombie films because they're out there. They're out there in spades, people. That are worse. You could do a lot worse than Survival of the Dead. Trust me on that one. So the best advice I can give to you guys, if you've never seen it before, if if it's on, if it's at the low end of your list, just just get it out of the way. Just to say you've seen it. 
and you know, tell us your opinion on it. I, 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 I may, I may be totally wrong on this, but you know, check it out. And that's all I have to say, really, about Survival of the Dead. It's just, it's just kind of there and sort of enjoyable. So, but Jamie, um, and this is going to be an unpopular thing, and I know John Cross is pressing me for information about who picked Evil Dead 2 as the film they dislike. But Jamie's going to tell us all about it. I've, we've heard this in other podcasts where I think, I, I think Skeleton Crew did a retrospective where Jamie just just pulled the string on that, that record on the chainsaw and just uh, let him have it. So, Jamie, let us have it now. Why do you hate Evil Dead 2? Well, it's no secret that I hate Evil Dead 2, and John Cross knows better. He knows he should have known it was me because <laughs> we've uh, we've um, we've had this discussion. But I um yeah, the, pretty much there's you can boil it down to one simple statement, and that is it's not Evil Dead. I what irritates me about this film is that it basically rehashes Evil Dead, but cuts out some characters that I really enjoy takes away the scare factor completely in my opinion and and then adds a lot of slapstick which I don't enjoy and then of course adds other characters and some of the characters that they add you know you know that's okay I don't have a problem with that but I just I think if he had left the first film as it was and then used this as because I just don't think there was anything wrong with the first one. It was low budget as fuck, but that's part of the that's part of the beauty of it. And the first time I saw that first movie, it scared the crap out of me. And I still have a friend to this day who, if I start laughing, like and rocking back and forth, she will hide, you know. Or if I start doing like the card thing, like you know, ten of jack, ace of spades, that you know, she freaks out because that movie scared the shit out of her so it was low budget yeah but it was effective and it's good and i will watch that any day of the week and then i was so excited when this movie was coming out i still have the fangoria issue that is talking about this movie coming out and i was super excited about it and then i watched it and it broke my fucking heart because not only did they change a whole bunch of shit, but I just don't think it's good. And I, I mean, I know people love it. I, I know that everybody loves this movie. Every, I mean, I have never in my life met another person who feels the way about I do about it ever, ever. And I, whatever, that's fine. I don't care. But I pretty much hate this movie for the same reason that I hate aliens. And that is because I feel like they took a a perfectly scary, successful, really well-done horror film stripped it completely of its horror and gave us something else that I just find annoying and I get bored with it. I mean, it just every time I'm forced to watch this movie, I just can't wait for it to be over because it annoys the piss out of me. But I also don't like Dead Alive, so there's... There's that. Maybe there's a, maybe, I don't know. Maybe that means something. Maybe that says something. But, um, yeah, I mean, basically, it's just, it's not the first one. I mean, it's not even close to, I think, what he accomplished with the first one. And I guess what irritates me the most about it is not like he tried and failed. He abandoned it. And that's what pisses me off. 
it, it's like he had something that was perfectly, not only perfectly good, it was amazing. And he turned his back on it. And that just makes me angry. But yet, I really like Army of Darkness, so I don't know. Go figure. How do you feel about Meet the Feebles if you hate Dead Alive? You know, I never saw it. Oh, that's going to happen then. That's oh, God. Happen. I love that movie. It's amazing. <laughs> As a Muppet fan, i got to love it so much. But, um, to kick the Suzanne, what are your thoughts on Evil Dead 2? Okay, I actually saw Evil Dead 2 before I saw the first one. So, of course, out of the box, I love this movie. I love the gore. I kind of was into the slapstick. And then I saw Evil Dead 1. And realized that I was watching a direct remake with... I mean, I, I get the humor, but the, the the slapstick I just find unnecessary. I'm I am kind of a puritan. I do like my horror to be straight horror, maybe a little vein of black humor through it. But this was just kind of it, it was just all a, a big gag. And I also I really don't like Army of Darkness. I just cannot stand that movie. But I can I totally understand Jamie's point and. My love for it, as much as I don't like the slapstick, I still love the movie. I love the effects. I love the animals on the wall laughing and their heads twisting around. I love Henrietta. I just can't say how much I do love this movie. I agree that the first one is a is a true horror movie. This one, it, it, it does feel like a. it is definitely a step down. But I still enjoy the hell out of it. It's still it's still one of my favorites. Even when I was, you know, growing up and even into my twenties, didn't have anything to do for the weekend. I just go rent Evil Dead and Dead by Dawn. That I would watch them two or three times a piece over the weekends. So I do understand your points, but I think I would probably feel a little stronger if I had seen the first one before I saw the second one. Yeah. Jeff. Okay, I have a story. Um, I'm old, which means that I got to see this in the theater. And this was back when I read not only Fangoria, but our local newspaper every day. So I knew Evil Dead 2 was coming out. And I also knew that it was being released unrated because, you know, fuck the MPAA. So there was an advertisement in the movie section of the newspaper um, at my favorite theater, which is now sadly defunct, but it said call theater for showtimes and didn't say what the movie was because they weren't allowed to advertise unrated movies. They did the same thing for Dawn of the Dead back in 78. So anyway, I put two and two together and I called the theater. I'm like, hey, you showing Evil Dead 2? And they're like, uh, maybe. And I'm like, okay, what time might it start if you were? So... <laughs> So they told me, and I just went. I just went that night. I fucking hated it. God damn. I was 17, and I thought I knew things, and I didn't understand what the hell Remy was doing with this sequel. You know, why would you continue Evil Dead, which was a fucking masterpiece, just this terrifying, low-budget movie, and then make it a comedy? And I was really disappointed. But I, I, have, I, I say this just to let you know that I understand where you're coming from. But... You understand my wrongness? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> I think after some time and perspective, I I don't know. I, I, I get it. And I really think this movie is brave and sort of amazing. 
and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of go point by point here. First of all, I mean, why would you retcon the entire first movie, right? Because it wasn't just Ash and Sarah at the cabin in Evil Dead, but in Evil Dead 2, when they do the recap, it is just Ash and Sarah. And I think that this is because Evil Dead was an ensemble movie, and this is an Ash movie. The whole thing is from his point of view. The original movie was pretty much from the point of view of, you know, the Kandarian demon entities. We weren't calling them deadites back then. But Ash wasn't the hero of Evil Dead. He was the survivor. He was just the final chin. But Evil Dead 2 sets him up as a hero figure, and that is a logical progression for sure, me. Sure, so why not just continue it? Why do you have to redo and remove well, again, because you're not dealing with an ensemble movie here. Nobody gives a fuck about the other characters in Evil Dead 2. I did. Really? No. Yes. I'm... Why do you think in Evil Dead the musical, you know, it I've is... Never, I've never seen oh. Evil Dead the musical. Well, in Evil Dead the musical, by the way, it's fantastic. But in Evil Dead the musical, all those characters are... They actually, it's kind of like an amalgamation of both. So all of the, the original people go to the cabin and then you have the people from Evil Dead 2 show up. So it's like a, it's like they take both of them and squish them together, but it's perfect, I think. And I would have been okay with that, but I loved Scott. Like, he was, um, he was, he had some of the greatest lines, I thought. I just, it, I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I get what you're saying. I just don't think it was necessary i mean okay so why not start from after everyone's dead and then move on from there if we want to see ash progression i just don't see why it was necessary to act like it never happened i guess is what i'm saying i I think maybe it was because evil dead didn't get that much distribution it didn't really find an audience until it hit home video so there may have been a lot of people who hadn't seen it or had just heard of it and ray was like well let's kind of recap this but then let's take it into a really weird direction. See, I don't know. I think humor and horror go together. I think they have to. I think they're Siamese cousins joined at the spine. But during, and during most of this movie, Ash is wondering if he's going insane. You know, because he's, he's, he's part demon. He's going to fight to remain human, which I really enjoy that aspect of the story. I don't think it makes logical sense. But you see that in the way that he plays the character. He's constantly fighting with himself. He's got, oh, fuck, you know, his hand. Just his, his left hand goes bad, and he has to cut it off, you know? That physical battle becomes personal to the point of being, you know, it's, it's just so localized. And if you can't face that with a sense of humor, then you're fucked. Like Suzanne was talking about, all the mounted animal heads, and they start laughing, and Ash starts laughing along with them. You know, did that really happen, or was it just Ash losing it? I don't know. I don't have that answer. No, maybe a jet engine's going to fall on him. Fuck. But not having that answer adds to my enjoyment of, of, of the film. So I really think that that works together really well. Also, these special effects, what the fuck is going on? I mean, it's 1987, right? So we don't have any terrible CGI to deal with. Thank the fuck. But, you know, you got really weird crane work. You've got like half-ass, let's put a camera in a grocery cart and pretend it's a steady cam scenes. You know, there's that's janky fucking stop motion animation. There's every there's everything here. This is a real kitchen sink approach to filmmaking. You know, but I, why are we mad about that now? You know, it's 20, 30 years later. I can't do math. But we see 
we've we've seen Sam Raimi movies since then. I mean, even when he has a budget, he throws in weird shit that doesn't feel like it belongs. You know, fuck emu Peter Parker. What the fuck was he doing there? That scene in Dark Man where Neeson holds the guy up through the manhole while traffic's coming at him. That's like a reverse riff on a dummy drop. It's a really interesting stylistic choice, and you know. Raimi gonna Raimi, and not liking that's fine, but that's like saying Carpenter shouldn't have used lens flares or deep focus, so, you know, Raimi just throws whatever he can at the screen every time he's behind the camera, with the possible exception of A Simple Plan, which is a great movie that nobody talks about anymore. Yes. Um, but fuck, Evil Dead 2, I know people have problems with it, and I, I understand it, because, you know, I had him too, but I don't know. I get it. I think it's a real it's a change of perspective and emotional tone i think it's the essential bridge to army of darkness and i think it's a lot of fun um yeah me myself i'm much like suzanne yeah my 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 video store had a limited selection if you will so this is the one that i saw first and i've probably seen multiple times before i saw that first one because it really didn't come out to my eyes until Anchor Bay started to release everything under the sun. And as you guys know, these films have been released by Anchor Bay at least six times over, probably, between VHS and, and DVD and Blu-ray. And um, that's really the first time I saw that first one. So I had no frame of reference to to um, their connection, although I was aware that there was a first one, obviously, much like when Return to Horror High came out, which I... There's, there's no original horror high, is there? No. No. Okay, that's the joke of the film. I got it. But <laughs> um, I don't. There's, there's no surf either. Okay. <laughs> How about not a surf? Oh, there's definitely not a surf. Okay, good. I just, I just want to make sure I was going crazy. That wasn't going all popular and stuff, you know. <laughs> oh God. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, me... Continue. No, that's okay. I would have made a not a surf joke if I didn't want you to react to it, X, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah, but this film, I, I, we just talked about Donnie Darko, okay? And it, it, it burned, a, burned a, a hole in my brain, you know, when you guys were having your conversation about this film. What if, because remember the end of the first film, it ended to where you think Ash won, but did he... Did the, 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 the possible, did the, the Kandorian demons possibly knock Ash out to where he woke up to a whole different reality to them just fucking with him, saying, guess what, your girlfriend's still alive, you don't remember any of these other people, but you remember the Cheryl thing, and you guys are going to this lovely vacationers cabin, and guess what, we're going to take her all over again, and we're just going to fuck with you and do more wacky stuff to you. And I get the comedy angle of it that people don't enjoy. I like the Three Stooges shit, but like like Jamie said, it's the more the first one's a lot more of a serious film. But me seeing the second one first made me appreciate the the, the slapsticky stuff in this film. But I can still enjoy that first one on the same level if that if that does anything for you. But I think the timeline issues can be simply fixed by 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 saying just what I said. That Ash didn't win in that first film, obviously, because you see, of course, the the, the grocery shirt, grocery cart, uh, steady cam coming at him, as assuming the Kandorian demons are still very much alive and well, and they possibly take over his his perception of reality, which will lead him back into the cabin again, and back to thinking that 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 never happened, 
and of course his girlfriend being dismembered by him by him with the chainsaw and all this new stuff coming in, these new people coming in. These could all be perceptions of what they want Ash to see. <laughs> Much like in the Rick and Morty episode, X. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> the paradox of the paradox of the paradox of the holodeck. This could be a real holodeck situation, much like Cabin in the Woods did, but Cabin in the Woods told you it was a holodeck, and these monsters were there to kill Thor and his company. And, um... And I re- I, re- I rewatched Thor by the way Thor Ragnarok by the way guess what still really funny y'all check that out but uh yeah I think if you look at it from that point of view and this film is filled with blood and bad stop motion and I think Sam Raimi really hates his brother uh, Ted because you could you could tell by the stuff that he does them in the films I'm sure it's a lot of love but I'm sure Ted they say hey Ted. Today, we're going to put some big old sacky titties on you and some funky makeup on you. We're going to turn you into a woman. Ted's like, all right, you know. God uh, damn it. <laughs> Again, Sam? Again? Fuck! You know, it's a, it's like something they made in their backyard or something, like, long ago. It's like the sacky tits again, Sam? God damn it. You know, but I'll do it. Let's go. Let, let, let's, let's get these sacky titties on and, you know, walk. Because he is really imposing as Henrietta and... I really enjoy... I don't think you would have got that with, uh, again, to carry all those goddamn prosthetics, too, with a woman, an actual woman within, within all those prosthetics. And um, the transformation's really janky, like X mentioned, with that uh, the demon head comes out of Henrietta's head, and it's there. I'll swell your soul, I'll swell your soul! You know, and... Again, it's, it's, it's a Joe Bob classic. I watched this on Monster Vision countless times, and that, that, that gives you a whole new level of memory for me. And, yeah, just think about that, that alternate paradox thing that, that, that the, these Kandorian demons may have created for Ash. And if, if you watch it in that light, I think that you will enjoy it better. But then again, this is a harebrained theory that I came up with whilst we were doing this show. I didn't realize that like this was this was this could be a thing. But you know what? I never listened to a commentary ever for this movie, but guess what? It could be a thing. And if you ever meet Sam Raimi, you should ask him about it. So, yeah. John Cross, I know you're racking up those evil dead guests. If you get Sam Raimi, you should ask him about this. I'm calling you out, brother. Yeah, that doesn't help. That doesn't help? (laughs) (laughs) No. I just, I don't know. I see things like that whole Linda dead dance scene thing and... Oh, it looks really bad. (sighs) I, I don't know. Boredom is really the 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 emotion of the day when I have to watch this film. I get really really bored and pissed. So, oh well. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, sorry at least you have these you, at least you got to enjoy something. <laughs> I hopefully I, you're getting to watch this one made up for having to watch Survival. No, I I like survival. Okay, I said this. It was decent. It was decent. I probably might like everyone. It might get shot to a six. You know, if I watch it again, but I might might not watch it again. We'll see though. (laughs) I don't. um, (laughs) Last, but certainly not least, we say we saved them for last because this is this is X's last ride after all. X, tell us the film you love that everyone seems to hate. Oh, uh, hold on a second. I got to gird my loins for this because I don't want to get my ass chewed. Um, 
You know, I'm not I'm not a big war movie fan. I can count all the war movies I like on one hand, and one of those movies is 1941, so there's that. But despite what Trey Parker and Matt Stone say, I don't think Pearl Harbor sucks. In fact, I kind of love it. And there are only two Michael Bay movies that I like, and out of those two, this is my favorite. Is it a big, bloated epic fuck yeah i mean could you compare it to titanic you could but i don't think that's fair see i actually like the characters of this movie i don't have a problem with ben affleck i never have i like josh hartnett just fine and what human with a pair of eyes doesn't like kate beckinsale and jesus the supporting cast in pearl harbor is phenomenal Alec Baldwin, Bill Fickner, Ewan Bremner, Cuba Gooding Jr., Mako, for fuck's sake, Leland fucking Orser is in this movie. Dan Aykroyd is here. John Voight, Michael Shannon. This is a plethora of talent. It's an all-star cast. And if you will, that right there is what makes this movie fantastic to me because, guys, this is a 70s movie. This is a prettier version of Earthquake or The Towering Inferno. All this movie really needs is George Kennedy as a grumpy airplane mechanic. Movies like, you know, Earthquake and Towering Inferno, they spend a lot of time and effort... Steve McQueen is a hot fireman. Oh, yeah. That'd work. But they spend a lot of time before bad shit happens, letting you get to know the characters. You have this knowledge in the back of your head that there's going to be a major event that somehow connects all of them together. You've got paths intersecting and relationships shifting. And I think this movie does that really well. So in that respect, I don't even really think of Pearl Harbor as a war movie. It's a disaster movie. And I think it's a really well-made one. Hawaii was made for Michael Bay. Move that camera around in a circle, motherfucker. That's fine. Cause there's palm trees and ocean waves and Kate Beckinsale and a nurse uniform and a torpedo bra. And that is okay. I understand there are historical inaccuracies. I don't give a shit. This isn't victory at sea. This is a based on actual events movie. The actual taxi is really pretty impressive. And for me, setting up all the elaborate backstory and the love triangle and all that, I think it lends a lot more gravitas when the attack on Pearl Harbor actually happens. And I know a lot of people thought it was just the worst thing. They rolled their eyes when... Ben Affleck came back after everyone thought he was dead. And you know what? Yeah, that seems hokey. And so you run out to get some propane for the grill, and you run into your wife's ex at the goddamn Walmart. Then that shit seems pretty fucking feasible, doesn't it? I appreciate the fact that the nurses aren't just pretty slam pieces for the brave airmen. And I know Jamie was upset because it takes 90 minutes before the first torpedo hits. But then you get like a full 35 minutes of aerial attack and aftermath. And then you get the last act, which is the training for an execution of Doolittle's raid on Tokyo. I'm okay with that. I think more than 35 minutes of the Pearl Harbor attack would have been way too much. So I'm fine. This is a long-ass movie. You know what? Wars are long. Return of the King was long. Gandhi was long. Long movies are a thing. But for me, the pacing feels pretty swift. I think we get a good amount of cross-cutting you know, between the fuck party on the naval base and the enemy making and executing their plan. So there's still that element of impending doom along with everything else going on. So I love this movie. I like the pace. I like the action. I like the, the storyline. And I like the actors. It, it looks like a Michael Bay movie, but it doesn't feel like a Michael Bay movie to me. It doesn't have that smug 
kind of feeling of product that his stuff usually has. And I know I'm not going to change anyone's mind about this movie, but you know what? It works for me, so suck it. Jamie, I know you had some, some things to say on Facebook about this movie, so let us have it. Well, I, uh, yeah. Um, for one, I think bloated is a good way to describe this film. This film is about as bloated as a tick on my daddy's fat dog. I, <laughs> I'm not campaigning for longer attack. I'm campaigning for shorter film. So I don't need to replace the character crap that we get in the beginning with more Pearl Harbor attack. I need to chop off some of it at that hour and a half that we, I mean, that is a whole movie of stuff that has nothing to do with any reason that anyone who's going to see a movie called Pearl Harbor is going to see that movie. That's an entire film's worth of stuff about characters that I don't care about. I really don't. Yes, I love Kate Beckinsale. I've never had a problem with actually any of the actors in the film. I like Josh Hartnett just fine. I always called him seventh grade haircut because he always has that seventh grade haircut. Like, I don't care how old he is. I call him but, Josh Brolin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, ben Affleck, I don't have a problem with. It's the characters that I don't care about. I really just don't. I am not engaged at all. And, and I'll give you this much. In the first five minutes when we're back on the farm and we're with Dad, I, when we were watching that, I was like, okay, well, maybe this isn't as bad as I remember because I actually kind of like these moments. Well, that went away. And then we have, and then we proceed to have like another hour and 25 minutes of stuff that I don't care about. And I, I mean, I just, I felt no connection. I felt no chemistry between Kate Beckinsale and... And actually, really, either of the guys, or at least any chemistry that I gave a damn about, it didn't move me. I wasn't in it. And I, if, if you're going to force me to sit with those characters for that long, I have to be in it. And I just wasn't. And the unfortunate thing is by that, yes, the attack on Pearl Harbor is excellently done. It's, it, it is masterfully created. You know, as far as special effects and and I mean, I'm not going to take anything away from Michael Bay as far as him being able to to make a film look good because he can. And particularly when there's a lot of explosions and action involved, he knows how to do it. That's the one thing he knows how to do really well. I don't think he knows how to do romance. And so I was not engaged in this romance in the least. You know, as far as it being a long movie, I don't care. Like to me. I fucking love Gone with the Wind. I'll watch that in a row. I'll watch that on a loop before I watch this again. It, I just, by the time, the unfortunate thing, sorry, I'm all over myself. The unfortunate thing is by the time we get to the part that I have been waiting an hour and a half to see, I have since lost interest. And so what happens is I'm fatigued. And so when we actually get to the good part, when we get to the, the name on the ticket that made me buy it, I don't care anymore and I'm lost. I'm out. I'm gone. And so I end up missing a lot of the attack because I'm not engaged anymore. Then what happened was thankfully when we watched this, <laughs> the release that we have is on two discs. <clears throat> so fortunately there's a break between the Pearl Harbor attack and the Doolittle raid. And then they, that's exactly where they put the intermission. So after we get the Pearl Harbor attack, and I've been sitting there watching it, and then here comes intermission, then we switch out the discs, and here comes the Doolittle Raid. That I love. I love 
every frame of film from that point to the end. And even though I did have to say when he was strapped, like when he got, um, Shit, I can't remember his name. When Josh Hartnett got caught and they strapped him to the thing. And then, of course, he he ends up dying and he's falling back and his arms are strapped to the cross. I'm like, that's subtle. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'll even give him that, you know, because subtlety has never been Michael Bay's strong point ever. Uh, so whatever. I'm like, you know, you can have that because I love this whole last act of the film. Absolutely love it. And so I'm thankful that the intermission fell when it did because it kind of renewed my interest in the action bits. And then we had, we got to spend a whole lot of time with Alec Baldwin, who I loved in this film. Uh, it was funny when we were watching it, Brian's like, so are you a Ben Affleck or a Josh Hartnett fan? And I was like, neither. I mean, as far as like, you know, who I would find more attractive and I, and I, I don't either. I like them both fine. I just don't find either of them particularly attractive. I'm actually an Alec Baldwin fan and I'm like I'm like no the the two people I find most attractive in this film are Alec Baldwin and Dan Aykroyd and I've always had a thing for Dan Aykroyd so that I can't explain it it's just a thing so um makes yeah. total sense to me yeah, <laughs> yeah by the time I'm, we <laughs> by the time we get to the last act I am back in I'm all in and I think it's fantastic I just wish that he could have trimmed I mean you can build up those characters. You can tell that story in about 30 minutes. If you know, just try, you can do it, you know, and maybe I would even be a little bit more convinced that, that these characters have something because if you stretch it out as long as this, I don't believe it, you know? So maybe if you were kind of to, to push it a little bit faster and didn't give me so much time to dwell on the things I don't believe, maybe I'd believe them a little bit more. The very least I wouldn't be so damn bored because that was the thing is I was bored as fuck. So, uh, yeah, there's my, there's my take on that. For the record, this was the thing I enjoyed the least about this entire podcast. Okay. Suzanne. All right. Let me, when I, this was a first time watch for me and going in, I just thought two things as I hit play. It's like, oh, great. It's going to be a Michael Bay explosion extravaganza, and I'm going to have to deal with a stupid love story. And I I am the complete opposite of Jamie on this one. I fell into this movie hard. I remember, and I, I watched a lot of war movies with my dad. And when I was when I was a kid, we would go to my grandparents' house every Sunday and after church, they would have, my grandfather would be entertaining the, his men friends in the living room. Grandma would be hosting the women in the kitchen. And I remember sitting in the living room, coloring or doing whatever I was, listening to some of these older gentlemen talk about their experiences in World War II. And I remember one man was missing a leg. And like I said, it was just every once in a while, the conversation would roll around to it. And when we got into the movie and I mean, I, I agree. I mean, the beginning, yeah, the first hour and a half, yeah, that is a whole lot of filler, but I was still engaged. I, they kept me interested. The only thing I can honestly say I had a big problem with was John Voight's chin. That just drove me insane. Every time he would talk, all I could see was the butt chin talking. That was my only issue with that. 
Have you ever seen him in Glory Road, where he plays the coach of the of the Kentucky team? Yeah. Well, that makeup is is tore up. <laughs> he looks really bad in that movie. But continue. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. And this, I think, when we started going into the battle and the planes flying in, I actually had a very hard time. I had to pause the movie because I got so incredibly upset. I I started crying, and I think it was just remembering some of these things that I heard these men talking about when I was a kid about, you know, the bullets flying around. That it's I I sobbed watching this battle take place. I just I I was. I just could not believe how much my emotions got involved watching that. It was just, it felt real. It sounded real. And I mean, I can't even imagine standing, holding a golf club and seeing enemy planes flying directly overhead. I I just lost it. And the aftermath was very hard to watch as well. When she's outside picking who gets treated and who doesn't that, I mean, things like that usually bother me because I mean, what, who, who made you God? And I did like that scene. <laughs> I, did. Was, I, I like, I like it where she's like, you're going to be just fine. And then F on the forehead, you know, yeah. I'm like, that's, that's rough. I mean, that is a, that's a hard call. Yeah. To I mean, it just, it, it just, it, I felt it in my gut and it just, it, it was just, I found that section so upsetting and I don't cry things like this. It's like, I've watched so many of them with my dad. I don't know why this one just completely got to me. And when we go into Doolittle's raid and the empty gas cans and I'm like, Oh my God, everybody's going to die. I had, I had convinced myself that everyone is going to die. I knew I, I knew Josh Hartnett had to die. It just it it would be the only way that they could complete the love story. I'm sorry, but it's true. <laughs> it was, well, yeah, that, there is, there is no other way to do that, and you you know well before it happens that that's the only way they're going to be able to do it. Well, I said it before the love triangle. I was like in a Facebook post that I don't think Josh Hartnett is going to live through this movie because <laughs> you got when you got F like he got Hartnett. You got to pick whoever was hotter at the time, and that was Affleck. So you had to figure in a Michael Bay situation that Affleck was going to live instead of Josh Hartnett. But like I said, this movie really—I I was really surprised at my reaction to it. I don't know if I'll ever be able to sit through it again. I don't know if I can go through that roller coaster. Like I said, things like this don't usually affect me. I watch these with my dad all the time. I don't know if it was just. Having that moment, thinking back to when I was a kid, or and seeing the the carnage, but something just flipped inside me. So yeah, this was I. This was the one I thought I was gonna. Well, this and Avatar, I thought were gonna be the most horrible watches of them all, and this one turned out even watching my favorites to be my favorite of all the movies. Um. Quick question: Have, Did you ever see Hacksaw Ridge? Yes, that is that has has become one of my all time favorite horror uh, horror. No, <laughs> well, I guess it is, but um, has become one of my all time favorite war films. I love that movie. Yeah, that one's really good too. I love war movies too, but which is why I was so antsy to get to that portion of this. I guess 
Saw Saw 12, Hacksaw's Ridge. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I listened to uh, the the, um, Mick Garris' post-mortem show where he had Darren Lynn Bowsman on there, uh, Jamie, and he actually explains the green hue that you hate so much in those films. So, if you want to give it a listen, go listen to that show. (laughs) But, um, me, myself... uh, just because he has a reason first... for it doesn't make it good. Uh, I'm not saying it was. It was a good reason, though. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a, a creative reason. <laughs> um, myself with 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 the Pearl Harbor situation. Uh, it's the first time watching me. I had no desire to watch it before this show because it just seemed like one of those lovey dovey films, and you know, it, it, it mixed in with a war story. And when you think about it, if you've seen like old John Wayne movies where he's in a wartime situation, there's always that love interest that they threw in there for the Duke, and uh, and that that's fine. So it, it's kind of, kind of in a way people that complain about it kind of they just just look at those old films from 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 the 40s and the 50s and the 60s to where they threw that love interest in there probably to appease the housewife that was coming to the theater with their husband to go see the movie, and um, because most dudes don't need that in their lives, but this worked really well to where they pulled a. A Tommy, you go back to Tom again, Tommy situation where you see that, do you think that Ben Affleck is dead, and he very well should be, so, of course his buddy, is it his friend or his brother X? What, um, Josh Hartnett's Josh character? Hartnett. That's yeah, just his, his friend. Okay, his friend... You're my best friend. His, <laughs> he beds his, uh, his nursemaid girlfriend, and, uh, they produce a child, and, you know, it, it, again, very touching scene at the end of this film for me, where, you know, Josh Hartnett is dead, and... Affleck out of the war with it with his with his lady, lovely lady Beckinsale and he takes the little boy out for a fly on the plane. I think it, it was a very touching scene to end this film with, and um, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna echo every, what everybody said. Um, well, yeah, that the, that the war scenes were, were top notch. I mean, come on, it, it doesn't get any much much better than this movie as far as like visually stunning. I mean, those older movies you can only do so much. With with what you had as far as effects go, and um, <laughs> not to not to take this down, Josh, but when Jamie was talking about her 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 father's friends talking about their old war stories, I was thinking about Cotton Hill telling his story, obviously about the USS Arizona and the sharks eating the people, and he's <laughs> he's, he's still what did he say? Oh, they got Brooklyn, then they ate Brooklyn, then Fatty, and all this fucking shit, you know, and Cotton telling his story about. Obviously about that, but um, and and, and try to make light of a, of a of a sad situation for Suzanne, remembering all those 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 memories about those stories. So I apologize for that, but um, yeah, visually the torpedoes flying and Cuba going from from second film where he goes from cookie to to, to big time uh, big time Navy guy. If you ever seen Men of Honor? Really great film with him and Bobby D doing some great stuff in that movie. Um, he plays a navy, a navy deep sea diver who loses his leg but comes back to be a navy deep sea diver again. I would have liked to have had more time with that character. I, I feel like that was just sort of shoehorned in when it's something that would have made for more interesting screen time. You know, so if you really have to fucking make a three-hour movie, take away some of the bullshit from the beginning and give me some more of this character, because I find that infinitely more interesting. Suzanne, he's not a Chewbacca but. in here, okay? He got the medal at the end, too, okay? He, he got he got the... Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> he, 
he's not a Chewbacca in this situation. Um, Michael Bay, you know, you, you gotta have the, 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 the stirring score, which is almost the same score from Armageddon. I'm sorry, whoever did, they probably did both scores for this film. And Hand Over Foot, it's almost the same. Uh, Steven Tyler, I don't want to miss a thing, score o- over this, this thing. Yeah. <laughs> I second that actually <laughs> we had that same goddamn shot too there's a there's that one one of the things i remembered from this film from the first time i saw it was that whole i mean it's not exactly the same but it's basically the same where ben affleck and kate beckinsale are on the hill in hawaii you know and doing their thing whatever and it's just like that goddamn scene in armageddon with Liv tyler and is that ben affleck too yeah, he's in that Son movie of a too. bitch! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, with Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler. Boy, is Ben Affleck tired of being on hills with with <laughs> with ladies? I don't know. He loves anyway, that. I'm like, well, hell, I guess if it worked for one movie, <laughs> just use it again. But he doesn't play sexually with animal crackers in this movie, though. So you could talk about animal crackers going under a bush and shit, which is kind of creepy because you know crumbs that would get kind of messy down there. <laughs> I'm sure that would throw off the pH balance. Definitely throw the, especially because you know animal crackers are mushy crackers. So if they really got I down the, in the, I eat the lions first. If they really got down deep in the bush, they would get you know moistened up and get disgusting in there. And I'm not gonna get into food porn anymore. But the king of the jungle. <laughs> that could be that could be a whole new set of pornography right there. Animal cracker porn. Is it wrong? I'm thinking about Shirley Temple right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, animal crackers in your soup would be kind of terrible too. Animal crackers in yeah, my nice. coot. <laughs> <laughs> you see, every took Suzanne's emotional story turned into something disgusting. This, these are the jokes, people. I can't help these things, you know. That's what we do. <laughs> oh, I can't get the image out of my head now, but it's kind of kind of glorious. But. Uh, yeah, like I said, it's a great ensemble cast. I, I love I love Michael Shannon. I, I believe that's an actor who could do anything. I mean, if you've ever seen him in comedies, he's hilarious. If you've seen him in action films, Premium Rush is a film I thought, I want to do the whole Joseph Gordon-Levitt career on this show one day. I think he's just great. He plays a great bad guy asshole in that movie. But he can play anything, and he's so funny, and he's so cool. I got to meet him once, and the fact that they, that story came out this week, I'm like, I didn't feel like going to the Oscars. I just went to a bar in Chicago, watched it with the mute on. So that's so fucking Shannon, and I, I think he's, I, I, I'd imagine that he's just a, a joy to hang out with as far as just being, like, the coolest motherfucker on the planet. But, um, yeah, Ackroyd shows up in this thing. Uh, he's pretty great, uh, you get some good, good Alec Baldwin in this movie. He, classic, uh, early aughts, late late nineties thing where I'm the big shit. I'm gonna go up in the air with you guys, kind of shit. And uh, that that's fine. And do I care if it's not historically accurate? No, but it doesn't take away my enjoyment of the film. And uh, it's there. It's Michael Bay. Get used to it. There's no robots in it, so there there you go. We had robots in one of these films, but uh, there were people inside of them. But um, that's my schmeal on Pearl Harbor. And uh, and now, Lex, <laughs> tell the folks a movie that you hate that people can't get enough of. 
I, I, I hate to go back to this particular person because we've already talked about him in this show, but my hate movie is Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Fucking hate so much. This movie makes me positive that James Cameron ripped off the idea for the original Terminator from Harlan Ellison because when left to his own devices, he takes everything that was great about the Terminator and just tears it apart and makes it all terrible. So I feel about this movie, I guess, the same way Jimmy feels about Evil Dead 2. But I start hating Terminator Uh 2. I start hating this movie right about the nine-minute point when Arnie comes out of the diner and the soundtrack plays Bad to the Bone. Is that supposed to be funny? Or is it just making sure that if you haven't figured out that the Terminator's a bad guy, that George Thorogood will make that extremely plain for you? It's condescending as fuck. It's like having tuba music behind the scene of a heavy person walking around. And also, where did the fucking T-2000 get its original face? It's liquid metal. But when it first shows up, it looks like Robert Patrick already. I mean, shouldn't it just be like a bipedal humanoid mercury pile? One of its major strengths is taking on the characteristics of anything it touches. So, uh, okay, that's just that's just a small part. Yeah, you're right. Robert Patrick should have been the cop that he killed in the beginning that he should have assumed his identity of. Yes, and also, why couldn't he just turn into a fucking car? Just fucking Maybe parts. Ugh, it's fucking auto-cop that shit. Um, Cameron's not a good storyteller. And the main reason that he's not is because he has a complete lack of subtlety. I mean, he knows the story, but he doesn't tell it. He yells it. He screams it. And he repeats portions of it like he's trying to train the audience, not entertain them. And it irritates me. That people point to this movie and specifically Sarah Connor's character as a strong female character. And yes, here we go again. I'm going back to last year when Cameron was shitting on Wonder Woman and talking about what his idea of a strong female character is. Because Cameron says that Sarah Connor earned the respect of the audience through pure grit. That's an exact quote. Through pure grit. Now, I say that statement is true, but not in this fucking movie. Original working at Big Jeff Sarah Connor was a badass. She was building pipe bombs and administering field dressings. That was good stuff. That was a great character. But in T2, she's fucking awful. Because apparently, a strong female character now means she can do pull-ups. First off, she's crazy. She's right about the Terminator coming to destroy humanity, but the way she goes about getting ready for it is by sleeping with drug lords and caching weapons in the fucking desert. Could there maybe have been a better way? Like, I don't know, getting into the IT field? Did she try turning it off and back on again? I mean, oh, and here's a huge point for me, a gigantic fucking point. If she's so goddamn worried about humanity, why does she so willingly give Terminator Arnie so much leeway with John Connor? She lets him become a parent to her child. She even says in the movie he's the best father that her kid has ever had. Now, in my mind... Big Jeff table serving Sarah Connor would never have let that happen. I think it's a bullshit swerve that totally undermines the entire thought process behind the franchise. He's not a threat anymore. Just imagine T2 without Schwarzenegger with only Sarah and John trying to defeat him. Now that could have been a really great tense movie, but you know fucking good and well nothing bad's going to happen to the little Connor family because Terminator Arnie is well established as a good guy half an hour into the thing. 
how do you justify John Connor telling his pet Terminator not to kill anyone? He's a fucking Terminator. He kills. That's what he does. That's all he does. That is well established, but not anymore because John fucking Greenpeace Connor orders him not to kill anyone. So he shoots a lot of people in the knees. In the fucking knees! He's on a Terminator. He's the maimer. And that's stupid. Cameron took his most famous and iconic character and cut his balls off. Eddie Furlong's terrible with his Greg Brady puberty voice and smarmy attitude. And I know he had some girls crushing on him, so that's whatever. Robert Patrick's great. He's a great villain. He's lost on a shitball movie. So he's maybe one of three things that I think are good about this movie. The other one, one of the other ones being You Could Be Mine, which is my favorite Guns N' Roses song. So points for that. But fuck me, y'all. T2 ruins the character of the Terminator. It ruins Sarah Connor. It inspires no trust in John Connor as the savior of humanity. And it pusses out on the violence. Lots of shit blows up. And there's a lot of gunfire, but it doesn't do any good because this movie is just loud and shrill and it doesn't make any sense as a sequel to me. And it moves the series along maybe a half step and it loses the intensity and the suspense and the excitement of the first one. And it turns Sarah Connor from a strong robot hating female character into a chick with a gun and an an unfilled Prozac prescription who basically lets Alexa raise her kid for a while. Fuck this movie. Fuck Jim Cameron and grieve for what could have been. And that is my definitive statement on this fucking movie, except that I will say the Terminator theme is probably one of my favorite pieces of movie music ever. Well, Suzanne, what'd you think, girl? Oh, God, I've been looking forward to this, too. I also hate this movie. I went to the theater to see this movie with a couple of my friends. Within the first 20 minutes, I'm like, how long is this thing? I spent more time staring at my damn watch than I did at the movie because that was when we got out of the theater way back in the day when this came out. The first thing that came out of my mouth is why the hell did they cut Arnie's balls off? I I just echo that statement because that's exactly what it did. It's like the, the kinder, gentler, make Arnold Schwarzenegger just a, a nice, loving household name instead of a badass killing machine, which is what he was designed for. And kindergarten El- cop was for. Yeah, and Harlan Ellison sued the shit out of him, almost bankrupted himself. And if you look on Terminator now, there is a teeny tiny little line that says uh, something credited to Harlan Ellison. So yeah, he's a fucking thief. He can't tell a story. I mean, does he? He just thinks he could just take these ideas, and it, I, I just hate him. And once again, can we talk about the color blue? How much <laughs> blue did you see in this movie? Everything is blue. There. You, you know, I really wanted to be into that scene with the the guy who programmed Skynet. I did. I wanted to be in there. I, I wanted him. I, I really wanted to enjoy that, to see him realize the error of his ways. And I'm like, oh, my God, how long is this scene going to go on for? Is it ever going to end? And they just kept dragging in every single minute of this movie drags. The one scene where he's morphing into the helicopter, and I looked at my husband, I'm like, I bet you that is James Cameron's, it's his his visualization of what everybody thinks his dick looks like, just sliding in there. I don't know why this crossed my mind, I just, I don't. It was one of the Herculoids, wasn't it? 
It looks like know. one of the Herculoids going into that fucking helicopter. Was it Gleep? Gleep is there? Gloop? Gloop? Gleep? Gloop? Something like that? <laughs> and I was, I just looked at it, I was like, that's, James Cameron just did a visual representation of his dick. And toward the end of the movie, in the foundry, there's this big gaping hole. I'm like, ah, that's the audience. And I just really just <laughs> see James Cameron slamming his dick into the audience with this heavy-handed just just monumentally long, annoying piece of just bullshit diatrop. I hate this movie. I hate it. I hate it. I can't stand it. It's the, the narrative at the beginning. It's like, I can see Linda Hamilton reading this and someone going, oh, no, no, no. I, I can hear emotion. Deader. No, 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 no. More emotion. Oh, there we go. Dead. There's just, there's no inflection. And even that, the, the stark scene that they use throughout the entire movie of the kids on the playground and uh, the, the, the nuclear warheads hitting, I'm like, oh, God, please, would you hurry up and just do it? I want to see burning bodies. But they just keep holding that until the end. I just wanted to see it burn. And, oh, there's one more thing. Oh, yes, the, my least favorite scene of the movie, which is really, really hard to pick out because there's a lot. There's just a lot here that I can't stand. It, once again, in the foundry when Robert Patrick is walking up the stairs. He's only got, what, half a flight to go? Not too many stairs. I remember I broke my ankle. I had to walk my dog because I didn't have anybody to help me. I got up the stairs quicker without crutches and my dog than, T, than, than Robert Patrick did. And the 10 minutes that it took him to walk up, what, 13 stairs? It's for dramatic effect, Suzanne. 10 minutes to walk <laughs> up a flight of stairs. Are you fucking kidding me? I was just, I, I, I was just vibrating on the couch going, I wish this would just, just walk, walk, put one foot on, yeah, there, oh God, long dramatic pause as he puts his foot on the next step, I'm, oh my God, oh God, just please, please just shoot, just, just shoot me, and everybody who likes this fucking movie, I hate this movie, I hate James Cameron, I don't really care for anything, he's, I love Terminator, but it was directly stolen from Harlan Ellison, which explains why I like it. Titanic, that is that is such a just I, I saw a night to remember. Done much better. And I'm done. No more T two. Okay. Jamie. Well, I have to say that hearing the two of you guys makes me feel better because um uh, for years about twenty of them or twenty five long fucking time. I don't know. I it, <sighs> I haven't ever really wanted to express exactly how I feel about this movie because it is so beloved that people see this and then Evil Dead 2 and then Aliens on my list and they're going to think you just don't like things or you just like to say you don't like things that are popular or something. Like it just, I don't know, they just wouldn't believe it, you know. But that's not the case. You know, if, if something is popular or not, I don't give a fuck. If I like it, I like it. This film, I don't hate it. It is not on the same level as those other two for me. I do like a lot about it. I think the effects in here are interesting. But like I said earlier, you cannot sell me on a film on effects alone. And that stands true even here. But I do find them interesting. I just really prefer the first one a whole lot more. And while there are things that I, like I said, I don't hate this film. I, uh... 
you guys definitely did make me feel better about not loving it as much as everyone else because everyone seems to hold this on such a pedestal. And I always felt bad that I just didn't see what they were seeing to hold it that high up. I do like it. I just don't love it. And um, I wish that... I guess that's what he was doing with Arnold in this. I much prefer Arnold in the first film. I... I love the character that he was. I would have liked to have seen more of that. And yes, I'm also irritated by the fact that apparently strong female character equals big guns. Because when this movie came out, that's what everybody was talking about, was how cut her arms were, and that made her such a badass. Well, that's not really the only thing that makes you a bad and actually that alone can't just make you a badass. It just that's not the way it is. And yeah, her arms did look pretty hot in this film but that's what everybody was talking about it but yet they were equating it with a strong female character what is that what does one have to do with the other you know except that i guess she was strong you know like physically strong you know she can open that jar of pickles for you but yeah i don't malign it as much as you guys do i really i mean so (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) i don't hate it nearly that much i do find it entertaining i just don't Love it. And overall, this series on the whole, I've been done with it for a long time. I'd be totally, I mean, I would be happy if all we had was the first one. I'd be okay with that. It wouldn't hurt my feelings. I would take the second one because I think it's okay. But beyond that, I don't need any more. So um, I just, uh, I don't know. But I mean, like I said, I just, I don't, or like I said earlier, I'm not a, I'm not a Cameron fan. Um, as rule there are some films that like this is actually one of the ones when i said i like a couple of his films this is one of them um but it still doesn't cross over into love territory um terminator like terminator i love this one no so yeah i'm just kind of middle of the road on it i guess um me you know this this holds a special place i guess with me in you know, but the rest of this conversation is going to go a whole different way, trust me. Because this is um, the first R-rated film that I wasn't allowed to see, but I watched. Because um, my, my folks were kind of strict about me watching R-rated films when I was 10 years old. And not in an in, in Iron Fist sort of way, but we, we were churchgoers still back in those days. That might have had something to do with it. I don't remember, I was 10 years old, so I don't remember our church politics back in those days or anything like that. We didn't live in the Bible Belt or anything like that. So it's special in that way, and you know, me, me as 10 years old seeing this kid riding on a motorbike being pursued by this semi-truck, and you know, and I thought that was pretty neat because I've had friends who had many bikes, and I never got to do that, especially, I've always been fascinated by people who can do stuff like, like ride more even ride a bike. The, the, the Bones Brigade, the skate team back in the 80s were really something to me because my equilibrium was jacked up and I never knew how, how to even ride a bike because I, I, I would fall down if I tried to ride a bike. And it was it was, it was was a bad scene. And um, so that that was... Those two things together really uh, sucked me into a film like this. And Arnie being like this nice guy hero was a, a thing, but then, you know, you, you watched other stuff where he's not such a nice guy, he's just killing everything. Because I, again, much like Evil Dead 2, I saw this one first, before I saw the first one. Because, again, you know, R-rated films. And, um, I liked it a lot for for that those reasons. 
but you watch it now as an adult after you've seen the first one and the the the, the lackluster other the sequels uh, three and Salvation and Genesis, which I don't think is so bad. If you cut three and four out of that equation, and and you just three and Salvation, I mean, out of the equation, and you watch these two films, and you watch Genesis. I think you have a, a solid trilogy on your hands as far as not going through all that. And of course, the much underrated, never-ended uh, Sarah, Con- Sarah Connor Chronicles TV show, which I thought was pretty great, and I know a lot of other folks did too, and uh, that got canceled because, you know, Fox, and sci- again, sci-fi doesn't work on TV, so if it was on Keo, probably would have ran five or six seasons. And, uh, yeah. But back to the task at hand, Terminator 2, um... It's still these were these were revolutionary effects when they came out. This idea of the the morphing thing. It was this movie, and then another James Cameron excuse waiting for the effects just to just to, to catch up so I could I can make this movie where I have a liquid guy and and uh, make him turn into things and that works on screen. But the T one thousand himself, although he was very cool, he's very much a never ending killing machine. He ran. He could turn into Jeanette Goldstein and stab her husband in the mouth, which I thought I think is pretty still pretty hilarious. And uh, uh but some of the effects that he waited so long to do look really bad now. I mean, the squibs to when Arnie's shooting with the shotgun, you see the 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 metallic bubbles coming out of him. I've seen it done better at Comic Cons than they look in this movie now. <laughs> And those people work really hard on their costumes, but they look better at Comic Cons than they do in this film. Cause they look like a big old, like somebody like took a candy dish and melted a little bit and stuck into his clothes. It just it just looks really stupid. And again, you guys hit the nail on the head when you said they neutered the Terminator's film by basically having this kid say. And just because they have this little side plot where he's only supposed to follow John Connor's orders, young or old, you, you can't kill people now, aren't you, Terminator? And uh, that would be really bad, so don't kill people. Now, I think that if they had some opposing... He had no problem lighting up T-1000. But, you know, everybody else, he, he, had, he had an issue because this kid told him not to do it. But at the same time, if some really bad, some really bad hombres, as, as our president would say... Uh, showed up, and he had to do it. When he say, "All right, go and kill him, kill him now, kill him now," he would be confused, obviously, because he already gave him those direct orders not to kill him. This guy ain't RoboCop losing his fourth directive, you know. It's just uh, he's he's already he's he's dumb. He's this big old pile of metal that's at, at the command of this little shit kid. Which don't get me wrong, I like Eddie Furlong in things. I don't like Eddie Furlong as a person, but I could watch Pecker countless times and. My mom really loves that A Home of Our Own movie quite a bit, and I've watched it more than once. Um, Brain Scan doesn't hold up very well. I'm sorry, people who love Brain Scan, but if it wasn't for that ba- that bad guy, the film would be complete and utter shit. But uh, um, he's screaming and puberty's screaming throughout this whole film, and Bobby Budnick shows up for a couple minutes, which is cool because Salute Your Shorts is really hot at that time, so... It was really fun to see him in this film for a couple minutes. I, Danny Cooksey, I'm sorry, he was also on Different Strokes, but that's about it. Um, who else? What else to love about this film? There's there's not a lot because a lot of the a lot of the science that laid down in the first film about Michael Bean explains the whole thing about 
why why the Terminator has to have living flesh over over the the, the, the skeleton is because nothing living that nothing dead can go through. Well, this this liquid Terminator is obviously not a living thing. So if he go he just goes through like he is, and let, let's let's shadow the illusion and say he takes that form of Robert Patrick because this is somebody he interacted with before he went into the the the, the transporter and. And, and let's let's just say that, but, but at the same time, that would that would that would that would warrant them saying, "Oh, he can only do things that that's that's that who he inter- who he interacts with," which is by at the end of the movie, you see two Sarah Connors. Which one's the real one? Which one's the real one? Because you know that gag's been used about one hundred eighty-seven thousand times. Uh, done better in Dark Man, by the way, which we discussed earlier. <laughs> Larry Drake, shoot him! No, shoot him! I love that gag. Um, I, I love a lot, a lot, a lot of T one thousand. Not a lot of Iron Chef love, and I agree with X about Sarah Connor not being a strong, real strong female character because she's falling apart throughout the entire film, unless they're on the road shooting people. Then she, then she's gung ho at that point when she can reach out, when she can look past an armored car door and just shoot things. But besides that, she's a big old mess. She's crying as she's shooting Miles Ben and Dyson because I, I I don't know if she feels bad about this, but at the same time, uh, f- feels relieved that she's gonna kill this man that's gonna you know unknowingly destroy the world. <laughs> and I I was gonna bring this on Facebook, but I didn't want to get reported. But the part where they're in, they're in Miles Ben and Dyson's house and he's revealing that he's a robot. And he's and I'm doing the hand motion. You guys can't see this, but he's cutting open his arm to reveal the skeleton. The fact that he sticks his his hand out and then makes a fist really tells me that if you don't give me some information, I'm gonna fist your wife the hard way. Because <laughs> it reminds me of that scene in Chasing Amy, where, where she goes, "If you don't use Stug, what do you do?" And she puts the, the she makes a circle of the finger and sticks her hand through the finger and waves her fingers around. That's what it reminded me of so bad. It, unintentionally, it reminded me of that, but it just seemed like a real diversionary tactic. Let, let me make a fist and let me show your wife what I'm all about. And, you know, tell us what we want to know, Miles Bennett Dyson. Boy, and, if they had uh, called Arnie finger cuffs in T2, that would have changed the entire <laughs> complexion of the film. I only have one more thing to say on it, and it's about Eddie Furlong. Whenever I see him in anything, I really think he needs to take a bath. He always just looks greasy and dirty. Yeah, and he has that early '90s hair, which I which I sported quite a bit. The hair, but I still had hair. The hair hanging down up uh, uh, amongst your face, so you could flip it. You know, I wore that at one point in time when I still had hair. <laughs> I got and, that now. Well, it, it was really douchey on him. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but I respect you. There's a difference. I don't respect Eddie for long. <laughs> that's a guy who gets his kid high and, and does crazy shit now. I don't, I don't want to talk about Eddie for long, the man. That's a whole other story. But Eddie for long, the actor, is not that great either. But um, yeah, just a lot of stuff that did that that worked in the first film that Jim Cameron just tore apart to to make this film work. Like any like any canon. You know stuff that they're related to the Terminator that he made up, made up about. Well, him and Harlan, him and Harlan also made up about the 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 transport system and how. The whole, we, 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 and, and by the way, we watched the extended version of this movie. 
which he, people were so coming to their pants over this extended version because they had that scene where you can see the T one thousand feet in, in in when they're in the the foundry melting to the floor. That's how you knew it was him. But there's so much dumb shit in here about her taking the CPU out of Terminator's head and she gonna break it and. I, there, there's other stuff. Oh, the worthless scene of her talking to to Michael Bean while she's in her 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 um her mental hospital room. That that worthless scene there. You gotta do it for the revolution, Sarah. Remember what the fuck he's talking about? Dream sequence. Oh, <laughs> damn that fucking dream sequence. You gotta do it for our son, Sarah. Come on, Sarah. Oh, I didn't think I'd, I'd say bad things about Michael Bean, but Michael Bean that scene. There's a reason why it was on the cutting room floor, buddy. And yeah, oh, oh, and there was more, there more stuff to where those guys were, of course, abusing her and and uh, overstepping their bounds in the mental hospital. It's like, yeah, I know, mental hospital's a bad place, and there's probably some pretty shady motherfuckers working in there. I don't need this this two second to five second scene telling me that though. It's it's I know people who've been inside those places, and it's not a pleasant experience. I don't need I don't need this movie to tell me that you know, um, I do. There's there is stuff that I love about this film. Still, I still think the scene where um, where uh, T one thousand gets the truck and he's 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 chasing them, ch- chasing John Connor through the whatever whatever the the, the that thing's called where Grease Lightning was racing at the end of Grease. Uh, <laughs> that that type of <laughs> base in there, they're chasing him through that and. That's pretty neat, I think. A very well shot thing. But again, people were again going crazy about this re release. But when they they when they did it I didn't I have only heard complaints about this and, and rightfully so I'm sure because it was it was new technology at the time and you shouldn't bitch about it so much, I guess. But there's a part in particular where T one thousand is liquid again coming out of the fire People say it looks even worse in 4K, and I was like, yeah, well, it would, because it's in 4K, and it was a new technology. So, for that reason, maybe you shouldn't have did that. But, you know, maybe you shouldn't have cleaned it up so good to make his effects not look so good. And I um, I think that would be a, a, a better choice for a film like this. Not to show, not to reveal your hands so much of, okay, these effects were crude when we put them out, because they were, they were still new. Let's clean them up and make them people just rip on them and that's that's not correct because i've seen a lot of stuff i just discussed uh fright night part two with with the deuce guys you guys ever heard that yet um there's scenes of of where there's a scene in particular where um john Grease character louis is is falling from the top of the 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 building where peter vincent and regine live and it just looks really bad because it's one of those bad Early, I mean, this is '89, but 80, late '80s, early '90s, early CG shots. It doesn't. It, it doesn't look. Um, it looks worse than when uh, Mola Ram is falling and his head is hitting the rocks in Temple of Doom. But again, budget. They they had a certain budget for that movie, and I, I can I can understand. I can I can forgive Fright Night Part Two because the, the bad guys are so great in that movie. But um, this film, the bad guy is great. He's great. T T one thousand is an imposing figure, but he, you know what? He, he really he really goes out like a chump. And you knew he was gonna go like a, go out like a chump because this is the good guy action hero. And you know he's gonna win. And you know at the end of this movie, you don't know why the next movie happens with the end of this movie, but that's another story altogether. Arnie has to sacrifice himself. 
for the greater good so Skynet doesn't happen. But guess what? Skynet happens anyway in this third movie. So if you haven't seen that before, don't watch it. It's still stupid. But you know what? It's, uh, it's, it's exponentially worse than this movie, in my opinion. But um, that that's uh, where I'll leave this. Uh, Furlong sucks. Arnie's okay, but he's fucking neutered. And he's fucking smiling in a deleted scene in this movie. That's fucking terrible. Like, you see that guy's face? You see how he smiles? Go ahead and try it. Go ahead and try and smile. And whenever Arnie tries to smile on things, unless he's laughing, if he's just straight up smiling, he just looks fucking redonkulous. And he looked real dumb in that deleted scene. Again, stop making director's cuts, okay, uh, James Cameron? If there's a reason why it was cut out in the first place... I hope it was a studio decision, because obviously it wasn't yours. Okay? Just stop doing it. Please. Oh. So that, that's Terminator 2. Judgment Day. That was cathartic. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, but not sorry. And I know Willis Wheeler is just listening to this right now saying, Man, fuck y'all. You know. <laughs> Oh, Nudie gave me shit because I didn't like it. When I just posted, I didn't even post much about it, except I, I don't even know what I said, but he was like, oh, come on, stop it. It's a good movie. <laughs> no, not by any stretch of the imagination is T2 a good movie. Oh, God. Um, now for something all you kids will enjoy. I think we're going to dive into something now and skip the break for the moment. I think we just do all, do this right now. This is a film that's much maligned by this podcast, and one that we love a lot. Uh, even when these guys weren't on here, I could tell there were kindred spirits who, who both both loved the, 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 the gist and the, 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 the style of one H.I. McDonough. And I think one of the Coen Brothers' best outlets, probably not their best outlet, but it's the one that I love the most, is Raising Arizona from, from uh, I think, 80, 86, 84. Who cares? It's Raising Arizona. 87. 87. I was close. But since this is X's last ride, and uh, he, he's the guy whose head is on the biker in the, in the, in the art, he loved that shit, don't you guys? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, X, uh, I, I need to ask this, man. But what, are, what are your feelings on Raising Arizona, sir? You know, this is a great movie all around, and there are reasons for that, and I will list them. Um... Number one, this is the Nicolas Cage movie that we can all agree on because he's crazy, he's full-on Cage, but he's likable. This is one of his most relatable roles. He doesn't jump around like a you know a circus goon being electrocuted like he does in a lot of his other movies, and it, this may have been you know the genesis of crazy Nick Cage. Maybe this in Moonstruck, but this is the Nick Cage that we all learned to love in the '80s. And number two, look at the rest of this fucking cast. This is the first time most of us really saw John Goodman or Holly Hunter or Bill Forsyth. And this is one of those magical, all the stars aligned moments where every single person in a movie is perfect for their role. Probably the best cast or ensemble cast is like 12 Angry Men. It's just that good. We also must discuss the power and glory that is Randall Tex Cobb. Holy shit. The decision to keep his character soft-spoken while still making it just like this apocalyptic doom biker baby bounty hunter was absolutely correct. And he became, for me, one of the most memorable bad guys of the 80s. Got the little baby shoes, 
slaps the slaps the fucking car seat on the front of his bike. Just amazing. Just crazy. Um, I also think that there are very few things funnier than the look on Nick Cage's face when a baby jumps on his ass just from the top of the crib, just drops on the look on his face is indescribable. It's just wonderful. And also this is one of the most quotable movies ever made. This is one of those movies that ever. This is one of those movies where you make really important decisions with, because if you quote raising Arizona and the person you're with doesn't get the joke or can't tell you the next line, you are free to break off all relations with that person until they get their shit together watch the movie and absorb it into their souls like a belief system. Yeah. So, this is a classic that really is a classic and not just some bullshit that people say is classic. Jamie. Yes. I love this movie so much. It is an all-time favorite. It is one that I quote more than any other movie ever probably except maybe Holy Grail or something like that. But to me it is that same type of movie which and basically what I mean by that is it just goes from scene to scene to scene. It's not like you have something funny and then, you know, a bunch of minutes later something else funny happens. No. Every single scene of this film, every frame of this film is perfect. I absolutely love it. And it's just, and it's one of those where it's like, oh, you know that scene where, yeah, you know that scene where, yeah, I know that one too, you know, and it's everything from, you know, people sleeping with Yodas and shit on their pajamas to writing fart on the wall. It's just perfection. And there is a line in this film to fit pretty much any real life situation. And... Uh, yeah, I totally agree, X. If you don't get a reference that I make, if I'm referencing this film, we really have to recalculate that something is wrong. Something yeah. is amiss. And, um, yeah, you know, if I turn to you randomly and uh, express that we're using code names, and you, <laughs> and you, right. look at, you look at me confused, then something's going to have to change. So, yeah, this is uh this is a movie I can watch anytime. I have watched it anytime. This is one of the most rented films in my household. Uh my best friend and I would rent this movie constantly and before I actually bought it and then eventually I just bought it, but it just was um it was in the rotation and uh, we watched it. I mean, I don't even know. Like we rent movies for the weekend and we would watch it more than once to, throughout the weekend just because it was so perfect and so hilarious. And I remember the first time we randomly rented this movie and watched it, I was laughing so hard at numerous scenes throughout this film that I I, I remember just being on the floor because we'd sit and we'd sit on the floor and watch TV in front of the TV. I remember just being on the floor laughing so hard I couldn't even sit upright. I mean, it just, it was painful. And that is what made me love. This is the film that made me love the Coen brothers. It's the film that made me love Nicolas Cage, even though I was already familiar with Nicolas Cage from Valley Girl, another favorite film of mine. I knew him from that movie, but seeing him like this was just hilarious. And, and yeah, it made me love John Goodman and Holly Hunter and uh, 
I can't even imagine a different anyone being replaced by anyone in this film. This was the best cast ever. The soundtrack, perfect. I, there's nothing bad. So I can just stop naming things that are good because it's all good. Speaking of healthy white babies, Suzanne, what'd you think? Okay, I agree with. I just there's very little more that I can add to that because this movie is as close to perfect as a movie can ever be. The casting, there's. I, I think about the only thing I can do is bring up some of my favorite scenes when he goes back to the gas station. He just gets that feeling, and he's going to rob it, but he's got to get the huggies, and then driving around and picking up the huggies after they fell off the car on the road, and the lone biker of the apocalypse. You know, I I was when X started going into Randall text Cobb. I'm like, yeah, that is like for me the thing that ties the entire movie together with a cute little bow. But it's it, it also was my first introduction. And after I watched Raising Arizona, I went and rented Blood Simple, two completely different movies. But I was I I love the Coen Brothers style. I love this movie. This. There, there just can't be enough said about it. And it is so highly quotable. And I will find myself oh, just randomly saying something from the movie. And every once in a while, somebody laughs because they know what I'm talking about. Oh, me. I, you know, there's so many great things to talk about. But when you watch it again, you know, with a critical eye, this, is, this sounds really bad right now. But it doesn't. You forget stuff like the first ten minutes of the film, where he he keeps going back into jail. He keeps seeing the same executive, that nasty guy who's mopping the floor, who's like should be taking care of the rancor or something like that. And uh, the 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 therapy session is hilarious. I, I posted a picture of the guy. He's like, "What do you mean you feel like a man trapped in a woman's body?" Well, sometimes I get the menstrual cramps real bad. Real bad. <laughs> that shit makes me laugh every time, and you know. The guy t- talking about how, how they again. He's like it's, it's like Bubba. It's like Bubba before Forrest Gump happened. Talking about how we got the crow dad and shit like that. Simple stuff like that is is, is like a staple. We ate sand. We ate sand. Yes. <laughs> oh, but yeah, great, great dynamite characters. I mean, Nicholas Cage. I, I love. I love it. I, I think that I think if I I talk to Tarantino, there's there's a fight scene. In Kill Bill Volume Two, right where he's fight, where she's fighting Michael Madsen in the trailer, and I think <laughs> now think about it. There's a part where she somebody scrapes their their knuckles on the on the, on the ceiling of the trailer, and I swear he must have been thinking that fight scene in Raising Arizona when he he when they choreographed that fight, just to add a yeah. hint of humor and just to see who who would spot it, and I spotted it. You know, because I don't watch Kill Bill Volume. I watch Kill Bill Volume One a lot, but not so much Volume Two because I think it's pretentious in a lot of parts and really long. And but when that scene came on, I was like, "Yeah, this is totally raising Arizona." There, Tarantino's at it again, but he's making me smile this time around. And that's uh, that's what this film does. It makes you smile constantly. Um, <laughs> Awful good cereal flakes, Miss McDonough. Yes. <laughs> I can't help it. See, this is like it's like Christmas vacation. I'm the same way with Christmas vacation. It's it, once I start thinking about it, I can't stop. And I swear to God, whenever I see somebody's new baby, I I go, she's an angel straight from heaven. <laughs> I think did they get the dip tap? 
Gotta get that dip tat. <laughs> Gotta do that, huh? <laughs> uh, I love I love the use of Francis McDormand's uh, use of the word orthodonture. Because yeah. it's, it's not a real word, but you know. That's for a spell. It is orthodonture. And right now, as we speak, you know, because I've met William Forsythe many, many times at convention. And he's always wearing... He's always wearing sandals and short shorts. He don't give a fuck, William Forsyth. I love it. And I got the I got I got the Raising Arizona picture right now, and I hope to meet John Goodman one day so he could sign the picture as well of him him and Gail standing together with with, with uh, Goodman's hand over his shoulder. But um, I met him once, and I was like, "You were in Cloak and Dagger," because that was the closest thing I assimilated him to. Because I watched Cloak and Dagger more than this film as a child, but I've seen this film. This film has surpassed Cloak and Dagger. Not necessarily in quality, because I like him for two different reasons. But, you know, William Forsyth has always been a, an actor that has just been in everything that, that I've seen throughout my childhood, through my adulthood. And that's special. And much like Goodman, Goodman's in a lot of stuff, too. Well, I'm not I'm not one of those people who are coming to their pants over this Roseanne reboot. I just... I can't, I'm not feeling it. That's another story. But, um... Holly Hunter is 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 is, is pretty great because I, I she goes from that depressed person to somebody who's so happy she has a baby to to going back into to, to, to warrior woman mode at the end of the movie where she's standing at the Randall Tex Randall Tex Cobb and it really hurts my soul that there's that this there's one scene in this film that I like but I think that it hurts my perception of a, of a conspiracy theory that I may have, because I know the Coen brothers are really into, like, mythology and putting that in their films and stuff, to where there's the point where where the the, the biker goes to go meet Mr. Arizona to, to talk about the bounty for the baby, and I wish that scene didn't exist in a way. And let me tell you why. Because you almost hope, you know, with, with High's dreams of this biker... You know, going to the desert, that the biker is an entity that is possibly like the dark side of him, and they have to combat each other at the end of this movie. And I think w with that scene with him and Mister Arizona talking, I I I would really like that thing. Just take Holly Hunter out of the end of the movie. Now, not not all the way, but to the fact that the points where she actually sees the biker, and take that one scene out where he's talking to Mister Arizona in the office. And then you got that that wild conspiracy theory going with, with a mixture of high's dreams and stuff like that, and I think that I think it makes it a better movie. Call me crazy, but I don't know how how you can make this movie a better movie. But I think that that this this goes from a ten, obviously, which I, I, we're not grading these films at all. But this this film is a ten to all of us, I'm sure. But that pushes it up to a twelve to me. If it had that that those scenes removed in that concept burned into my brain. I think it would blow my mind. But, um, yeah, great quotable lines in this movie. Sam McMurray is is an actor who, who I, again, I've seen in everything from when I was a child all, all the way up to adulthood, and he's just racist and per squirmy, and he doesn't give a fuck, you know? Now, one of the one of the, my favorite lines, I, I use it on Suzanne, like, call her a healthy white baby, is where he goes and <laughs> There's something wrong with my semen, see? And, uh, I, it was, what's the line? I was like, this thing gotta wait, what, seven years for a healthy white baby? Is it seven years? Or six years? Or so, it's something like, seventy years for a healthy white baby. She's five. Like, it's funny, he's like, gotta wait five years for a healthy white baby. I said, shit, what else you got? 
And he goes in about the, the kid with the heartboard on the outside. Shit, I paid money to see that. <laughs> he is so incredibly terrible, but you can't help but laugh at him. And, of course, in the end, he gets his comeuppance. But, um, yeah, love it all around. Great, great scenes. Great cage. Great Randall Tex Cobb. But like I said, if they, they added that aspect to the film, I think this would be even higher, in my opinion, than a 10. So, what do you guys think about that? i got to ask X about this. What do you think about that, sir? <sighs> nah. Nah? <laughs> too, too much? <laughs> too much, too much, huh? Yeah, I'm not. I, 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 I understand where you're coming from, but I'm not seeing it. <clears throat> Fair enough. What about you, Suzanne? I just love it. It's like I said, it's perfect. Uh, no, my, my theory or the, the film? I know you love the film. I've just completely drawn a blank. I am so sorry. That's okay. <laughs> what about you, Jamie? Uh, well, like eggs, I I can see where you're coming. And actually, I can kind of see it. But for me personally, it's just so perfect the way it is. I can't imagine anything being yeah. any different. I'm not still totally the change of it. If, if it but I don't. Yeah. No, I I would actually be interested in seeing it that way. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, that, that's about it for that one. We, we, I'm glad we got to talk about it though. I, I told X it would hurt my soul if, if we uh, didn't get to talk about it on this last this last podcast with him because it's a film we talked about tons, even in casual conversations. So yeah, but that was the breaks, people. And speaking of breaks, we're gonna come back and we're gonna read a couple of uh, friends of ours wrote an email, and uh, we're, we're gonna read those on the air and close out the show. Hey, it's your boy, Donnie Rings, host of the Horror Mafia Podcast. I'm joined by my associates, Baby Joy. Hey, yo, how you doing? Como estai? And Big Bill Casanelli. Hey, bafangul, bafangul, all right? And together, the three of us will take you, the listener, through our unique take on the horror genre. And sometimes mob movies, too. <laughs> we are the mafia, you know. We serve up a little antipas to get you in the mood. A little gabagoo, a little supersan, a hot sausage, a piece of mozzarella, crack Sicilian, I don't forget about it. As well as a wide variety of entrees to manja. Whether the classic film review or our list episodes. You'll always get an exquisito dish served. Hey guys, how can we forget? Daniel's torture. Ah! Fucking Dawn! So come join us in the back room at Horophilia Studios for a sit-down with the Horror Mafia podcast. We'll make you an offer you can't refuse. Or you'll be sleeping with the fishes. Are you sick of the same old stale podcast? Well, then join Vanessa and Darren as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room, where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on Apple Podcasts. And where fine podcasts are available, they're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VD Clinic Pod. Join them on Facebook 
at facebook.com slash groups slash vdclinicpod or email them at vdclinicpod at gmail.com They're ready to cure what ails you. <laughs> and still, they just might be a little contagious. Hello folks, welcome back to X's Last Ride. And uh, we uh, got a couple emails here from some people. I, I put the the feelers out there. You guys probably heard some during the episode. I hope you guys did, because at this point, we're still waiting for a few minutes recording this. So we're, we'll uh, hopefully uh, press those uh, lazy podcasts that we know and love so much to put something on the air here for us. But we got one, uh, a tribute, if you will, from one Donnie Rings from the, the Horror Mafia podcast. You're right. Hey, Beavers. Donnie Rings here. Longtime listener and share of the show. First time, yes, Donnie Rings be sharing some shows, baby. We love him for that. Uh, first time right in because of Jeffrey that I had to do this. Such a fan of his work across all the shows he does from Beef Theme Warriors and both Kiss the Goat and Food Chain, which all will be missed. Take care, man, and we'll see you when we can see you. As for the rest of the request, a film that I love that others despise would be Hellraiser Hellseeker. I could probably name hundreds of titles here, but I feel this is one that is highly underrated and wrongfully maligned, a wrongfully maligned effort. It's a psychological horror film that I can get behind. The theme of the hero being trapped in, in a purgatory of his own making fits in with the rest of the franchise, and the pacing is fantastic. Far more upbeat and enjoyable than expected, and, no, and one that I place over most of the franchise, probably only behind 1 and 3, which tells me Donnie Rings is not like... Uh, Hellbound Hellraiser 2, which is nuts! Sorry, Donnie! But, uh, as for the film, others that love that I despise, I'm not a fan at all of, are we ready for this, guys? The Shining. I think it's way too much style over substance, as the film is way too long for its own good. Contains little in the way of actual suspense as Jack is shown to be unhinged from his ver- from the very beginning. And the finale is supposed to be a big shock, yet makes the film confusing more than anything else. It's technically accomplished in every way, but there's a reason for the expression, just because you're good doesn't make you enjoyable. And that's where it falls for me. So X, that was, that was for you, brother. What, what do you think of Donnie Ring's uh, opinions there, my friend? You know what? First of all, Donnie, thank you, man. Appreciate those kind words. And you're totally, absolutely right about The Shining. Um, Jack is telegraphed. Nicholson's the wrong guy for that part. But Stephen Weber wasn't any better, so uh, you know we get what we get. Um, it's fun to watch. It's not scary. But God, yeah, I also agree with you on um on the uh, Hellraiser movie. That was you said Hellseeker or Inferno? Hellseeker. I'm, okay, Hellseeker. Okay, maybe I don't. Inferno's the one I love. That's the Scott Derrickson one. I need to watch Hellseeker again. Maybe I'll do that tonight. Okay. Anyway, thanks, man. Oh, boy. We got one more uh, write-in from one uh, Matthew Tangent, who supports everything Legion. He supports everything. Matt the, Matt the Angry Matt, Matt the Angry Ginger. Matt the Angry Ginger. <laughs> uh, he writes, A huge shout-out to my compadre, Jeff X. Martin. I've spent countless hours listening to him on many podcasts, including the illustrious Cinema Beef. X never ceases to entertain and learn me some new factoids. I've been honored to harass him on Kiss the Goat and call him a friend. One film I love that others would hate it would probably be Howard the Duck. It's nuts and corny, but I love it. I agree, my friend. A film that I hate that no one shuts up about is Frozen. 
I think it's literally the worst. The songs are horrible and the story is blah. I do love animated films, but that is one that's a hard pass. Thanks for providing a great show and a fun Facebook group on beef on on beef on to beef on Gary. Sign I also Matthew, love Howard the Duck. Yes, indeed. Sign Matthew Ta- Matthew Tangen, aka the Angry Ginger. Um, yeah, I love Howard the Duck, man. I've never seen Frozen because I don't have children that are <laughs> me. Eight, me either. Well, I mean, I have them, but they're all moved out of the house and they're adults. So if they want to watch Frozen, they can do that shit on their own time. But anyway, thank you, Matt. Yeah, you've been a lot of fun. It was. We got to the point where on Kiss to Go, it wasn't a show unless you called in with a voicemail. So appreciate that, man. Oh man, but um, this this unfortunately. As the doors say, this is the end, and uh, I, I would, uh, <laughs> I'm making a Jim Morris reference for X, but he probably <laughs> fucking hates it so much right now, <laughs> but I wouldn't have it any other way, man. <clears throat> what what the fuck can I say in this situation? I'm going to miss you dearly, you fucking know this, so I'm not going to go on a big old emotional diatribe about, you know, all those fun times you spent together, because you, because you know this, and I'd imagine everybody else knows this, that, you know... As far as you know, actual penetration, me and X are totally gay for each other. You know, so there, there, there you go. I love this man to death. I love, I love his wife because you know they, they invited me into their home, and I snore loudly, but they invited me to their home twice, and I, I, uh, I always appreciate that. I appreciate the time we spent together, uh, uh, in the physical form and uh, and on the podcast here. So, I, I love you, brother, and uh, I, I hope. Uh, we cross paths again on in, in, in the podcast forum because I'm, I'm going to come hunt you down there in Tennessee for sure because I, I I'll miss you too much, man. You're gonna have to find me. I'm gonna be back in the woods, brother. Oh, I'm gonna find <clears throat> it, man. You appear fond of just hanging out with bows and arrows and shit, you know? Shit, yes. The, the <laughs> raising, go, the, bee, raising bees. <laughs> the, the the ghost of Jerry Reed just singing that Gator theme song, you know. <laughs> I've had a lot of fun on this show. Gary, you know, I love you, man. And, you know, whether you're here or just on the show, and I've had a lot of fun with this one. It's been, we've gotten into some shit, which I thoroughly enjoy. Jamie, I love recording with you. Suzanne, I didn't get to work with you much, but a lot of fun. So, yeah, it's it's sad, and I'm going to miss it, but it's all right. We are moving on with other things in our lives right now, and... It needs to happen. Yeah. Jamie, you want to chime in, girl? Nah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. a girl. <laughs> See, I just I had to get that, that laugh one more time. I, I have truly loved recording with you. And um, it is it just it makes me so happy when I can make you laugh. Because to me, that's an accomplishment. And I am going to miss you a lot. And Jesus Lord. <laughs> um yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun and I'm sure it's gonna happen again. Um <laughs> but I remember the first time I ever recorded with you and not on this show and not on one of my shows, it was on your show. Your old show. Yeah. Um so six and a half feet. Yeah. Uh, under the old six point five. Six six, six yeah. and a half feet under. And I remember that because I had never talked to you before. And that, so after I recorded with you on this show, I was like, yeah, I don't like that guy. <laughs> well, I guess it's a good thing because I ended up spending a whole lot of hours with you. So, uh, yeah. hours which I have enjoyed immensely. So, 
and also listening to you. When I wasn't recording with you, I was happy listening to you. So it's um, you have a great sense of humor and you have good taste most of the time. And I uh, I can always appreciate that. So I'm going to miss you. Miss you too. Thank you. Sue. As you said, we just haven't recorded a lot together, but you've always have this really interesting way of looking at movies. And I sometimes feel like I get shallow and you can just get so deep into the subject. And I'm just so incredibly envious of that. And it was it was a pleasure to actually be able to meet you and Cootie in person as well. And uh, hopefully our paths will cross again in Tennessee. That would be good. I'm looking forward to that. CJ Lee, everybody else has been here. What the hell are you doing? Yeah. So everybody else has been to our place. What's wrong with you? I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I haven't been to Michigan to see Jamie yet because there's too much snow out there right now. So. Yeah, and yeah. we are one state over. So. <laughs> when, the, when the snow clears out, I'm going to come see Jamie. I'm going to get that driver's license going on for sure. And I'm going to come visit every motherfucker. I don't care. It's like, oh, you're in Nebraska? I can do that in eight hours. I'll see you soon. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Omaha, home of uh, Court Psyops and the Deuce Boys. So there you go. Road trip. Road trip, man. Yeah, sure. th- you drive next time. Okay. <laughs> I slept a lot on the road. I'm sorry, Suzanne. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I was uh, listening to Hair Nation and Blue Collar Comedy. Okay. But, um... Yeah, that's it for, for, for X's last ride. I, I, I think we've been through a journey together on this episode. I think it was a pretty great one. And uh, we hope you got all that you could out of it, as much as we hope we got all all that we could out of it, because I, I think we got a lot out of it. But uh, this is where I'll leave you. Uh, if you want to come check out the Facebook group, you guys can do that. Come right and review us on iTunes. I have a running contest going uh, for, for some great... Some great games to go into your rumpus room. Uh, two Yahtzee sets. One's a Legend of Zelda. One's a Back to the Future. And one's a, a Doctor Who Monopoly set that I got on the cheap to, to give away for for you guys for for gifts. They're pretty, pretty they're pretty cool looking too though. Although I got them on the cheap. But um, come rate reviews on iTunes. You guys could be in the, the raffle for for those things. And uh, yeah. Fleas and Flicks happening <laughs> for a long ways away. But I am going to Heroes and Villains Fan Fest. Uh, and me and Suzanne are both going. Yay. Uh, in, in a few weeks to, to, to go meet Michael. She wants to meet Michael Rooker. I want to meet tons of other people because uh, one of my main obsessions from Arrow is going to be there. And that's going to be uh, that's going to be a bonertastic situation. Where I think we have to get a big notebook or something to, to hold it back. And uh, yeah, these things are. <laughs> but um, that's happening. And C2E2 in the same weekend. So that's going to be a little a little busy for me. I may have to reschedule that show for that week because we're talking about recording on Sundays. And I'll be away on that Sunday. So, but the next show that you're going to hear will be the debut of uh, not the debut on this show, but the debut as as a permanent co-host of one Iris Saravia. Uh, she she will be uh, showing up on here where we're going to do a show that I titled uh, "Same Thief, Different Hoods." To we're going to we're going to cover two of my childhood favorites, but one is. Uh, the rat, the, the the rat pack. I mean, the the rat pack. Yeah, the rat pack. Uh, film, Robin and the Seven Hoods in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, the Kevin Costner Robin Hood joint, yeah. and a, a childhood juggernaut for me, which is that 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 Robin Hood film, that Disney one from the seventies, because I wore that motherfucker out. 
as far as the VHS goes, and we'll we'll talk about that when the episode happens. But um, this is uh the Beavers signing off, and they're always saying here at the Sin Beef Podcast, if you got beef, we've got the grinder. See you guys next time. Bye 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 bye. We're closer now than ever before How much alike we are Perhaps we're almost brothers There's love in our world and we're showing it more We even think the same You know there may be others Our world says welcome strangers Everybody's a friend We can always use a friend Favorite stories to tell In our world Some say our world is getting too small So many things to learn But we'll enjoy each lesson I say with kindness, there's room for us all. Problems don't worry us when half the fun is guessing. Our world is always changing. Every day's a surprise. say